0: This episode is supported by Dove. Narrow beauty standards have permeated our feeds, perpetuating beauty ideals that can't be achieved in real life, impacting girls' self-esteem. To combat this, the Dove Self-Esteem Project is taking action to support the next generation so that they can have a positive experience on social media by providing no-cost resources to parents, mentors, and educators. Dove is tackling the issue of digital distortion with reverse selfie, a film rooted in new research on body confidence from the Dove Self-Esteem Project. They're also providing a new confidence kit so that kids and parents can navigate social media with confidence and have a more positive experience online. Head on over to dove.com slash talk to download the new confidence kit and helpful tips to have the selfie talk today but Alex yeah Shane
1: let's begin this episode
0: let's do it hello everyone I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane the babies are in bed the cat is in her room and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this family tree podcast episode 97
1: 97
0: 97 as per you the usual as per the usual it is it's a big one we're three away from 100
1: And um, we're thinking about changing it up. Like, originally we were like, oh, Birds of Papaya 100. Now we're like, should Emma Wiggle and Jillian Harris be episode 100? Should Birds of Papaya, Emma Wiggle, and Jillian Harris be the ultimate supersode?
0: I, I like us thinking about these things, even though two of the people being mentioned, we haven't even contacted yet.
1: Well, hey, Emma Wiggle... Shared us. She did. Totally out of nowhere.
0: Main feed, might I add, not just the story that disappears within 24 hours, but plus she did it from her Wiggles account and not even like her, you know, that's her big account.
1: Yeah, I know. It was wild. It seems like if we ask her to come back, she'll do it, especially if we're like episode 100 and we start kissing her butt.
0: Well, I would gladly kiss her butt because I do love Emma Wiggle, but we do have two amazing guests tonight, as I know you're all expecting. First up, we have Matthias Barker. You probably know him because he's absolutely huge on TikTok. He is a psychotherapist, and we have an amazing discussion about all things marriage, the positive implications of raising kids, why communicating about the little things, and I mean like the little things, like not taking your shoes off, uh, leaving the toilet seat up, why communicating about those things actually matters a ton in a marriage we talk about pornography reconciling different attachment styles and coping with anxiety like we cover the gamut and he is so amazing he is so fascinating and you're you're gonna get a lot from this interview you're gonna love it
1: do you cover watching pornography while leaving the toilet seat up at all
0: because <laughs> i Double find duty. that's my problem well here's the thing we cover how to approach issues regardless of what your issue is and if that's the issue, then we cover how to talk about that.
1: I was a little bummed I couldn't sit in on this one. I know a lot of interviews now I'm not even welcome to come to because you're like, Shane, I got this. But this one, I actually wanted to be there, but a work meeting of mine I got know. switched to the exact time where we were supposed to do the interview. I love this guy. I love him on TikTok. I love his voice. Yes. I love his calming nature uh and i aspire to be like him
0: (laughs) (laughs) well here's the thing i was hoping you could sit on it as well because you did discover him within like our family in finding advice for how to talk to tantruming children and misbehaving children you discovered him
1: yeah one day lucy was having a tantrum and i approached her in a way that i didn't know if it was right so i went on tiktok and i was wondering could anyone advise me on how to Mm -hmm. properly talk to a tantruming child i don't know how i found him but i did almost instantly And I just thought we have to have him on the podcast. And luckily, he agreed.
0: Yeah. No, That's he was, my story. He was amazing. Uh, you are going to absolutely love it. And following Matthias, we have another incredible and incredibly unique interview with Leslie Bengamba. So she is a safety advocate, but she didn't get into safety advocacy just because she had a passion for it initially. She actually had an incredibly harrowing experience with her 18 month old daughter named Emily. She is a Canadian woman. Uh, Emily swallowed a battery unbeknownst to anybody in the family, and it caused incredibly life-threatening injuries, damage, and...
1: This is every parent's nightmare.
0: Every parent's nightmare, and Leslie lived it, and she is gracious enough to share her story and what she has been going through since... uh, This happened, I think, last April, April 2020. Uh, So she was gracious enough to share her experience with us, and like... Get the tissues out, take notes, do everything. Uh, I got very emotional in this story, and you just you learn so much, uh, but but truly, I, I hope you I hope you take a lot from this.
1: Do everything kind of seems like a broad uh, ask from the listeners, right? Do now. everything. okay, do everything. Do
0: everything. That's all I can say. But baby, before we get into things, Cheers.
1: Let's cheers. We're drinking out of plastic glasses. So excuse if it doesn't sound like the coolest. Cheers.
0: So maybe as you can tell, we've got a Caesar, but it's not just a regular Caesar because we don't drink booze during the podcast. So this is a Seedlip Garden 108 Caesar. So essentially made the exact same way. But instead of vodka, we have alcohol free Seedlip Garden 108. And it The herbs in this drink, this like distilled non-alcoholic spirit, go beautifully with all the Caesar fixins. So
1: good because truth be told, I was a little hungover this morning. A little? A lot. I I couldn't really do any (laughs) parenting duties and I feel guilty about it. But what happens to me is I go overboard on the first day of vacation because i i don't get a lot of vacations and when i do
0: historically this is something that always happens
1: and it's always at the cottage so we're, <laughs> and we're with your parents too and this always they must just think wow shane really overdoes it uh, often and leaves alex with the brunt of the parenting duties right which i don't think is true is it
0: <laughs> you did don't just You're, laugh it off no 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 of course you don't of course you don't but it is funny because today so we had both my parents here my brothers here and everybody's like kind of taking turns but whenever anybody but he asked where you were i was like oh he's he's sleeping or he's laying down and they're like oh i'm glad he's getting such a good rested and it was just very funny but for the
1: first three hours of the day they said that and then by the time 5 p.m <laughs> rolled around they're like is he even alive but i'm feeling good now inexplicably i don't know why i feel so good right now i'm glad but this caesar is definitely making me feel like I can enjoy it consequence free
0: it's beautiful and how do you like the little pepperettes like my dad went into town and bought mini pepperettes and put them in the caesars for us he made the caesars i must give my dad some Terrific. credit here uh but yeah delicious i love a caesar with all the crap in it me not too. too much but like lots of it
1: caesar is one of those drinks i don't think it's difficult to make but i will never know because i've never made one really? i don't know how to make one so i am overly impressed when someone hands me a caesar because i feel like it's one of those drinks that's it's a lot of work.
0: Well, here's the, it is a lot of work because you have to like wash the celery, make sure that all the, what you know, the stringy things in the celery. You got to make sure those aren't there. You got to get all the good ins to make it really appetizing and delicious. And here's the thing. A lot of people I find, I like my Caesars with lots of Lee and Perrins and lots of Tabasco. Many people do not put enough. And there's just like clamato you know, it's not So this enough. one has Lee and Perrins in it. Of course.
1: Right. That's good. Well, shall we begin?
0: Let's do it, baby. What you got?
1: TikTok. We finally reached 100,000 followers.
0: 100,000. Have we made it? Like, have we made it? Not in life, but I feel like we're on another tier of social media. Not stardom. Fame, fame, but fame, yeah, fame, right? Like coolness. Like we're on another tier of social media coolness. Yeah.
1: We're at least 40 feet from stardom. <laughs> which I think could be coming... Soon with Instagram, also, you have climbed more in the last three weeks than you did in the last year.
0: Well, look, the only thing that happened that, you know, lets me know where we stand in the eyes of others is, as we said, Emma Wiggle reposting our interview in our main feed. That made me feel good. Yes.
1: But that did contribute to me potentially overdoing it yesterday
0: <laughs> absolutely
1: so my question to you is just how, how do you feel about it what's the future like is tiktok more important than instagram is no. like what's the hierarchy is the podcast most important than mm, TikTok?
0: you yes. know yeah, no, no. uh in respectability podcast instagram tiktok there's something about tiktok even though that's where we're killing it and doing our best stuff i guess. Uh, there's something about it that seems like Frivolous. nothing matters. And it's like, it's just silly. And it's not, I think because you engage less with people than on Instagram.
1: And the followers aren't following you in the same way. With it's Instagram, different. they're actually following you. Yeah. In, in some way.
0: They're, well, they're invested in your life. And I, and I think because of the stories on Instagram and it won't, you know, take up your whole feed if you story 10 times a day, people can really get to know you without... I, it's different it's different and it seems like a joke world and i think that's partly because there's such a, a younger crowd on it and they're all just goofy all they ever want to do is get on there and troll people you know
1: yet you were crying tears of joy yesterday i
0: was i was pumped it's a lot of hard work we've been putting in babe
1: okay so can i move on from this move topic on. yeah go? do it okay so you're angry with me right now you came into this podcast hot <laughs> and angry And I wanted to talk about anger and specifically your unique style of anger.
0: Okay. Does that make you angry? No, no, no. I just think it's funny. Let's hear it.
1: Well, it's just this to describe, just to tell a story right now. The other day we were putting the kids to bed and I'm brushing Lucy's teeth and Betty had a little bit of poop on her hands. (laughs) Because Betty is the type of child that when you're changing your diaper, she wants to scratch her bum and get all the poop under her fingernails. It's just... That, it's
0: horrific. That
1: type of child. So you're holding Betty and you're washing her your right hand and you say, Shane, can you wash her left hand? So I'm scrubbing the heck out of her left hand and you go, is it all gone? Is is, is all the poop gone? I go, yep. You go, it smells good. I go, yeah, it smells good. It's clean. Then I think everything's good. I've... I've done well, I think I helped you out. Now it's back to brushing Lou's teeth, putting her to bed. I come downstairs, 25 minutes later, Mm -hmm. maybe half an hour, because Lou was being a a little testy that night. And you just have this look on your face and you say, I'm not saying this to start anything, but I smelled her hand and it still smelled like poo
0: okay okay it did
1: and i was just blown away that you had been harboring this it was hard and you to- actually wanted to start an argument no, because anytime anyone says i don't want to dot 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 They always intend to do the thing that they're saying they're not intending to do.
0: You know, okay, and I agree with you there that when somebody starts off like that or like, I don't mean to sound like a dick, but it's like, no, what you're you realize what you're saying is about to be dickish. Here's the thing. I didn't want to start a fight, but I realized that saying that could start a fight because I find that you get defensive about things. So it's not like I was like smelling her every fingernail to make sure you got all the poop out. But when I was holding her after, I was like, oh, my gosh, where is that smell coming from? And I smelled her hand. I was like, oh, like, it still smells like poo. Like, this is so gross. And I wanted, okay, here's the, thing: if it was just, if it was something that was, like, less important, like, not about, like, her ingesting her own poo, then I just would have not said anything because, like, I didn't care that much. So I wanted to tell you just so that in case this happened again in the future, you understood, like, how well you needed to wash her hands to get all the poop out. Because I was like, yeah, I can't have this going on and like, you not washing your hands good enough. So I just needed to tell you as like a parent thing, but I didn't want to piss you off because it really, it didn't like make me feel any way at all. I just wanted you to know. And then, yeah. And then, and then that, but I wasn't like actually mad. You just thought I was.
1: Well, I just thought it was strange to bring up way after the fact. And I didn't know
0: how to tell you. I was
1: the helper. If I'm the main poop washer, like if. Each night we have a child that we're looking after. Mm-hmm. It's either Betty or Lucy. I'm usually looking after Lucy. You're usually looking after Betty. Right. If I ask you to help me with Lucy in any way, I know you're gonna do a shabby job. You're not gonna do the job <laughs> I would do because you're also keeping an eye on your child. Yeah. Which would be Betty. Right. Like they're both our children. You know what I mean? Like I l- do, I do, yeah, yeah. So when I'm helping you, I'm just trying to get the majority of the poop off. Because I'm also watching Lucy, who's brushing her teeth, who's standing on a chair, who can Mm -hmm. fall off. So I'm manning both children. So it's expected that my job isn't going to be as good. I know if I was the number one parent, there's going to be no poop under the fingernails. It's just, that's just, to me, it's an unspoken thing. When you're the helper parent, you don't do as good a job as the main parent.
0: Look, the only thing that baffles me about this situation is... The fact that it it like made such an impression.
1: It was just hilarious. And and, <laughs> and later on I had something where I said to you, Oh, I, I don't mean to upset you and I used your own medicine yeah. against you and you really got bothered by that.
0: No, I didn't. Yes you did. I did not. I did not. I understood you. I was understanding, babe.
1: The angle that I'm the defensive one and you're not is it's not true.
0: It's true. Here's the thing. I bet even listeners can go through conversations and be like, Alex, brings something up. And I think you get to be not in a mean way or anything, like in a kind way, but I think you get defensive.
1: Uh, undeniably. But I'm saying, yes, I agree. <laughs> but you also get defensive. And yeah. You- very defensive and we've also talked on this podcast how you don't like to be told anything yeah, and but we've I admit, had big conversations about that i think
0: i admit those faults more than you admit your defensiveness
1: when have i ever denied defensiveness
0: i don't know i don't know i'm just assuming i, I think you
1: everyone has a baseline d- defensiveness when they feel like someone's telling them they're doing something wrong especially in regards to parenting because it's a uh, I don't know shameful thing if you feel like you're not being a good parent or not
0: mm-hmm. cleaning
1: your child or something cleaning like
0: that. the poop off their hands. yeah
1: like that to me is it was uh hurtful.
0: Well, I gotta say another reason to listen to and enjoy the Matthias interview because we do talk about how to approach you know, not necessarily arguments but like things that bug you while minimizing your partner's like reactionary defensiveness.
1: okay And
0: <laughs> clearly, I haven't internalized that yet though.
1: And tonight, you were willing to totally like. We got off to this podcast recording it later than yeah. expected. You were annoyed, but you weren't going to say anything with me. You were just going to let this awkwardness. Hang well, because
0: I, I didn't want like it to impact the pod, and I just wanted to get the pod over because we were like, eating at eight, and and it's like, you know, I, I just didn't want it to impact the pod. So I was just gonna wait, and then you brought it up, and I was like, "Okay, I'm happy you brought it up."
1: But w- uh, what what are you annoyed at with me? That's what that's what I'm curious I about. What think did I do? The
0: lack of telling me what was going on and why stuff was going on. Like right. I knew that you had to do something else, like for your real work. But like I didn't know why, and it was just like I'm looking at the clock, and I'm getting antsy, and it was all, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I told you why. I told you why immediately. After. No, I didn't. The second you walked in, I said, "Listen, I got to do something for 15 minutes here."
0: Mm. Yeah. But I, I told I didn't you know right why. away. Like why else would you have to do something on a Saturday night? Like that's just weird, you know? So it's like you didn't tell me the why. Because a work issue came up, I told you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um (laughs) What?
0: It's just like so like on edge.
1: I'm not on edge. I'm the least I'm the coolest guy in this room right now.
0: You're the only guy in this room.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Don't talk semantics with me. I'm cool hip and fun loving.
0: I I agree with you there. I Am don't I disagree. the funnest guy in the world? You're the funnest guy in the world. Am babe. I the
1: best dad ever?
0: You are the best dad ever. Okay. <laughs> She's staring at me. <laughs> what do you call it? Like laser, laser eyes.
1: All right, laser eyes. We do call it. But I'm gonna move. On. I don't even want to talk about my next topic because you're mad at me. I'm I'm not. This is, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm nursing a hangover here. I'm, I'm a little, you know, not on edge, myself. Were you just
0: gonna say on edge? Why? I think you were just gonna use my terms because so I said you were on edge, and you were like, no, I'm not. But I think you were just about to say on edge.
1: Every time I use a word that's a little different, you repeat it.
0: Oh, I'm just saying only because you denied it when I said it. I'm
1: on edge, Alex. Are you happy? I'm really (laughs) on edge right now.
0: I am happy. I'm happy. Okay,
1: who's our first (laughs) guest?
0: Okay, let's get to Matthias Parker, uh, psychotherapist and just social media like...
1: I got to listen to Power this. House. Hopefully you can solve all my problems. Our, our problem. <laughs> sorry. Oh, wait. I'm the problem in our relationship. But before we get to this conversation, let's tell everyone who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit.
1: Have I ever said first and best before?
0: first and best. I don't know, but it is the first and the best always. And it's crafted as per usual without alcohol, sugar, or calories. And it solves the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever.
1: Or maybe you just want to drink a non-alcoholic cocktail while you're listening to your favorite podcast.
0: Oh, I'd say that's a, probably a great idea. And the nice thing about these non-alcoholic cocktails are, you know, it really helps you skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, see the a drink for every drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process in each of their three variants. So Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42 are alcohol-free and pair perfectly with a splash of tonic. They can also be used to make more complex cocktails, like Shane said, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on Instagram at Seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to Seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. Again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and This Family Tree 10. This is available in Canada and in the U.S.
1: But we are also supported by...
0: Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard. Like, really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as tough.
1: Not just absorbent. Stylish, too.
0: Yes. Yes. I mean, style matters. Which is important
1: for me. And Lucy and Betty. (laughs) Especially Betty. She's a bit of a uh, style... Icon.
0: I'd say she's a style icon in the baby world, but Hello Bello is co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, and it's built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. Their diaper bundling service, which we get and absolutely love, lets you choose from over twenty fun rotating designs. Each bundle comes with. Are you ready, Shane? Take notes. I'm ready. 7 packs of diapers, 4 packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. Plus, you're going to get 15% off of any add-ons, like the bubble bath, the wipes, the diaper rash cream, the detangler, whatever you want. It's all freaking awesome. So to get Hello Bello super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree30 30% off your diaper bundle order. What? That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowout saved.
1: That's right. That's HelloBello.ca promo code ThisFamilyTree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order.
0: Don't forget, that's HelloBello.ca promo code ThisFamilyTree30. This promo is applicable to Canadians only. And now let's get to our interview with Matthias. I am so glad that you are able to come and join us today. Join me today. We are so excited to speak with you.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to be here too. Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. It was it was funny. So we were looking, we were going through a behavioral thing with our three-year-old and Shane was just like scouring online for some tips, some something new that we hadn't yeah. tried before to help with her behavior. And he came across one of your videos but like, getting on your three-year-old's level and really just trying to speak with them in a way that kind of connects you both. And he's like, this guy's awesome. He's amazing. And then from then on, we both <laughs> just started watching your stuff all the time. And you really are great. So Matthias, welcome. Uh, and I want to I want to kind of start with how you got into psychotherapy, because I know you come from a very religious background. And mm-hmm. it seems like it shaped some of your work, but I, I'd like to ask you about that
2: yeah well, so I got into um therapy after originally kind of deciding to be a pastor and kind of going to bible school and wow. and you know, yeah, that was that was kind of the route that I was going to take and And then I was working at a church and and really kind of well, there's a couple of things. What I found was the thing that I liked most about doing the church work was actually the one on one conversations that I was having with people and and just like the opportunities to really kind of dive into the day to-day life and and the struggles that aren't just maybe. I don't know, super philosophical and esoteric, but more just like on the ground level of what it means just to raise kids or what it means to be connected to someone that you love, you know? And so that was, that was motivating. I was like, oh, okay, I think I want to go get my counseling masters as maybe a way to like equip me as like a pastor, just to be more, you know, present with those skills. And then, I don't know, just kind of like throughout my masters, it through a long series of events, I actually ended up quitting my job at the church I was working at. And I'm deciding that I didn't really want to pursue being a pastor anymore, but I had, I don't know. I was like halfway through this master's program in counseling and I was like, okay, fine. I guess, uh, I guess this is like the full-time career thing. Now what started maybe is just like, I don't know, not really an add on that makes it sound like I didn't take it very seriously. It was really important to me, but it, it maybe became the central focus after that. And then of course, I mean, As it looks online and stuff, I've I've kind of just shifted into just general audience and not just working with Christians or people in church, but
0: and with everybody. A social media magnate, I might add. (laughs) While you're at it, yeah. What denomination are you?
2: Oh yeah, probably just like non-denominational. Like, Mm. I came from a pretty like kind of charismatic background, but um, yeah, like I love authors like Dallas Willard, N.T. Wright, amazing um, John Wesley. You know, so that's kind of my. And my style
0: yeah has did your background because I, I heard you speaking about like and so I I grew up Catholic
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I mean it, it shapes my adulthood and my parenting a little bit but but not much my husband is not religious at all uh we don't have a very religious household and I'm I'm just curious how it shapes your work because I've heard you speak about like kissing dating goodbye and Terms like that, and I wasn't really familiar with them. But I did have uh, friends of different Christian denominations growing up, and they they kind of had lingo like that. So, like, do you still look to that for guidance in your work, or how, how has it shaped you as a psychotherapist? Mm. No,
2: that's a good question. Well, I think that you know maybe like a, a subtopic that's. Uh, interesting to me is like talking to people who kind of grew up in a similar church world that I did. There was kind of like this whole evangelical subculture of people who grew up within a similar religious tradition that that had its strengths and weaknesses. And so I don't know, kind of growing up in that, and with a lot of the study I've done in psychology, it's it's certainly an engaging topic when when it comes up in conversation. You know, I don't really necessarily make it the focal point of my content or talk tons about it, but I think when it comes up, it feels appropriate. Yeah, so yeah, I think. In the evangelical world, like that I Kiss Dating Goodbye slogan was a book that came around that really was like the, uh, I don't know, the trendsetter in this thing called the purity movement, which was evangelicalism's way of motivating young kids not to have sex with each other. Is yeah. that like the Jonas <laughs> and so, Brothers
0: in the Ring thing? Is that what that's from? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I
2: don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they did too. Yeah. it's <laughs> It was just this whole world of like, yeah, we are passionate about our lack of sexual activity. And so it was... I don't know. In a lot of ways, kind of harmful. For some of us, it was it was really nice because we we got through high school and college without you know sexual trauma or a lot of complicated sexual relationships that can be scarring. Others of us came through really like the way that we accomplished that, quote unquote, was with a lot of shame and a lot of self, I don't know, deprecation and and it made it really confusing maybe entering into things like marriage and sexual relationships because you you know your whole life you're you're so motivated to call that part of yourself bad and wrong and temptation and sinful. And then you get married and you're supposed to flip a switch to where that's supposed to be this beautiful, wonderful thing. And that's highly complicated. And so I think sometimes yeah, I'm a commentator in that space, trying to help people bridge the gap there.
0: No, and I, I think it's so important. And you know, I think a lot of the friends that I had growing up that were very religious, uh, you know, it's like the stereotypical yeah, grow up Christian background, get married yeah, when yeah. you're like nineteen or twenty and start having kids when you're like twenty two. And it's it's that very early onset of kind of adulthood in your life. And I think back to my twenties and Shane's twenties. I mean, not saying for better or for worse, but it looked a lot different. Yeah than that, a lot yeah. different. And, and, and that does, yeah. I think, shape certain things. I mean, I haven't unpacked that enough to see how it has shaped me in some regards. Mm-hmm. But I, I do wanna get into that and into sexual relationships and relationships and marriage. But before I do just something that intrigues me, growing up, so like as a Catholic, right, we do confession. I haven't been a confession in a, a very long time, like a decade. And I think about talking to my priest about marriage, about children, and I feel like there would be this massive disconnect there. I have never spoken to my priest about these things because for me, it's like, well, you you don't have experience here. And how can you comment theoretically on my life without having lived and having had these relationships? And like, you're a young guy, Matthias, and mm-hmm. yeah. I am curious about your interactions with people being so young and talking about all these experiences? Like, is it positive? Is it negative? Do people really feel like they can connect with you? Like, are there universal truths about relationships and children that you don't need to really be in the thick of things to to talk yeah. about?
2: Yeah. that's a great question. Well, you know, I think you could answer that a few different ways on, on kind of a higher up level. I think like even me as a therapist, I'm not necessarily trying to kind of counsel people out of my life experiences Mm. and out of my, my depth of wisdom. (laughs) I'm I'm researching the, you know, the latest, uh, you know, empirically based, uh, modalities and interventions that took, you know, 30, 40 years to put together. Like most, most of my work is based out of something called the Gottman method, which is this, uh, this old Jewish couple that spent like 40 years, just, you know, listening. Yeah. Do you know him?
0: I've heard. Yes. yeah, John yes, and Julie Amazing. Dutman. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They're incredible. So they, they basically like set up like an Airbnb and put a bunch of cameras and everyone knew there was cameras. And, and <laughs> then they just watched couples, you know, interact with each other. And they just had like some basic questions around, okay, let's just watch and track everything we do. We're literally going to just make check marks and count every tiny little interaction that they have with each other. And then in like 20 years, we're going to see who's divorced or who's not, who's really happy, who's really dissatisfied. And then we're going to go back and see what were the things that like you know, the superstar couples that really stayed connected over the long haul, what were the things they were doing in the beginning? Like, what were the things that they based their whole relationship on? And then what were the things that maybe the couples that ended up separating? What were the things that led to that separation or that emotional distance or betrayals or, you know, what have you? And so what's cool is that I can, you know, sit with a couple, and and you're right. Like I'm a young guy. I've been married almost nine years. I mean, I got that's, married kind of young. So, yeah. so you I mean, you were the
0: stereotypical. And I'm sorry for that, but you know you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you totally. know, I like that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we got yeah. My wife and I got married when we were 19 20, and 28. So I mean, I have some experience. And and like we we're saying, and some if we have a similar upbringing, I might be more helpful or less. But uh, that's really not what I base all my content on, or even my videos. I'm I'm scouring that research. Because, you know, they observe tens of thousands of couples. And so I get to stand on the shoulders. I get to bring insights, not from, oh, Matthias' life experience, but from Here's like tens of thousands of couples over the course of like 40 years and here's what they all did to bring intimacy and closeness into their relationship or here's what universally led to negative outcomes and that's powerful that's uh, yes. that transcends just Matthias that's mm-hmm. that's something different altogether
0: and I, I will just say for the record you do have more experience in marriage than Shane and I we've it's our uh, 50th anniversary this summer so this August oh awesome but uh, together yeah. six years and it is by far both of our longest relationships by, mm. I think, what, two or three years for both of us. So Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Learning as we go, but <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. We love being married. And for us, it happened super quick. We were dating uh, after about six or seven months. We decided to get married because we just didn't want to go on dating anymore. We knew what mm-hmm. we wanted. We knew right. we wanted each other. And we knew we wanted to start a life together. And it's like it felt like... Every day not being in that position felt like a wasted day, almost for us, and that's kind of what led us to to getting married. And I, I've heard you speak a little bit about you know being in a a marriage as opposed to a long term monogamous relationship relationship or a polyamorous relationship. And we've spoken to couples in both types of relationships on this podcast, but there are benefits to being married? And I, I was hoping that you could kind of enlighten us to your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, no, that's that's good. I think, I mean, it's going to be different for every person. I think I have I made a video on YouTube just trying to make a case for why marriage is a good thing, because I think it's, it's not uncommon, I don't know, in just kind of the cultural setting right now, especially with people our age, a bit younger. It's like, why get married and just like hit yourself up to somebody and sign all these contracts and <laughs> merge all your finances. <laughs> that seems like a big hassle. Like why in the world would you yeah. uh, commit to spending the rest of your life with someone when you have no idea what they're going to be like in 10 or 20 or 30 years if, if you'll be in the same, you know, I don't know, value space. And so why not just be with someone for as long as it's beneficial and just be in a committed relationship for as long as it makes sense for both of you. And then you can part ways as time goes on. That's, that, that was kind of the the, uh, the state of mind that I kind of took on in this in this video, and and in that video, I kind of just talked about, well, there's something there's something kind of nice about being able to solve conflict or work through conflict, sorry, when you know you don't have the nuclear button, you know they're just like sitting right next to you. Like there's something about like, okay, we we really need to make this work because maybe we have kids together, and maybe like it's just in our value system that we really want to hold on to this. And so that provides maybe a layer of motivation in order to kind of work out some of these hard details. And I think that, on the front end, that kind of sounds a little bit straining and a little bit weird. Cause it's like, Oh, you're saying that I, I can't leave. Like I'm trapped. So I may as well figure <laughs> it out. And it's like, well, it's not, it's not exactly that. It's just, there's something to the idea that like some intimacy takes a long time to build. And some intimacy takes like working through several different seasons of life and several different versions of you to, to arrive at. And like the intimacy I have with my wife is like, you've seen me and like Four different fashion expressions of myself <laughs> when I was really big into like white belts and skinny Ooh. jeans and and like if vests. She loves you through and... <laughs>
0: that. She's gonna love you forever. Yeah. <laughs> the best. Love me through
2: long <laughs> tees and oh, yeah, just I don't know. You, there's something to the persistence and perseverance of a relationship that that imparts value and intimacy and depth into your relationship that that doesn't come when you kind of just work through it in a like, okay, as long as as long as long this is working for me in every small minute moment of our relationship, then I'll stay in. But the moment that, you know, this isn't exactly what I want, I'm out. And I think what that also does is just kind of puts your partner on a place of feeling like they have to perform, like they can't just relax. They can't just be themselves because they're constantly trying to manage your, I don't know, expectations and your and, and, and again, like there's, there's a rebuttal there of like, well, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that what keeps, you know, people on their toes? And, and that's my question is like, do you really want your partner to feel on their toes all the time? <laughs> do you want to feel on your toes all the time? Like, it's stressful. like, can you just like the, some, some of the intimacy that comes from like something like a marriage is okay. Like, I'm really going to show you the real version of me, the version of me, I'm terrified to show anybody and all of its glory and beauty, but also all of its struggle and places that it needs to grow. And I'm terrified to show like the depths of myself to just about anybody. And so if, if maybe we make a promise to each other that we won't leave and I'll be there and I'll attend to that deep part of you and, and maybe you'll be there and you'll attend to that deep part of me. And, and not that, not that we're trying to fix or get into this weird codependent space. It's just a, it's almost like this gesture of, I really want to know the real you. And, and I promise if you show me, I won't leave. And, And then that actually creates a space for when I'm grumpy, I can share that I'm grumpy and I'm not worried about, I don't know, guarding my grumpiness from you because I'm worried that that's going to fatigue you and then you're not going to want to be around me. It's almost like then we can almost have a real conversation about, okay, maybe the way that you're expressing your grumpiness is having this kind of effect on me. And so we we need to have a negotiation around like okay, you can't bark at me and call me names when you're grumpy. That's not appropriate. Like, I want you to be able to share that grumpiness with me though. And, and let's talk about ways we can do that where I can receive it and where it brings us closer together instead of makes us feel farther apart. And maybe that's the kind of negotiation I'm talking about. And so instead of having this nuclear option, like, gosh, they got really grumpy a couple of years into this relationship. All they are is negative. I really regret this. I want to get out of it. It's like, oh no, let's press in. And I, what i see especially as a couples counselor's when we press in there's typically these deeply seated needs and desires and sometimes emotional wounds under the surface that when you press into them it garners intimacy and closeness not more distance not more uh having to sacrifice part of yourself to stay in the relationship if anything it's like this beautiful molding together if you're willing to be honest and vulnerable and and press in and uh i don't know i'm kind of being tangential in this explanation of it it's a lot more succinct in that video but it's uh it's something so valuable, and I think that you'll miss out on if you don't have the patience and uh, mm-hmm. the mind to see it. It's,
0: and for, yeah. for people mm-hmm. who are, you know, on, in the mindset of thinking, okay, well, why, why do we need to sign all these papers? Why do we make, need to make it legal? I feel like I can be myself with you. I just – I don't want to make it legal. I don't want to make it binding like that. Um, where do you think the strong opposition to making it a binding thing comes from.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, traditionally that this I think it's hard to look at right now because I think originally marriage was actually like a was a well, it was a unit within a community. And so, mm-hmm. for example, like if I was in like a small kind of farmville kind of agrarian society <laughs> and I'm the only blacksmith and and the whole town needs a blacksmith and so I'm going to get married and have a kid so that the town can keep having a blacksmith, it's like your marriage wasn't just about your romantic and emotional flourishing. It it wasn't less than that, but it was was more than that. It was also about the role that you play within a society. And so it wasn't, and that's why in a marriage ceremony, you invite a bunch of people and you have groomsmen and bridesmaids. The idea is like, this isn't just a promise that we're making to each other. This is actually a promise we're making to our culture, to our society, to our um, families, to our neighbors that you can depend on us, and so that there's actually something really beautiful and really um, a dynamic that happens when we unite both of our resources together, and then we become a singular unit in the society. Not that we don't have our you know uniqueness in, individually, but we provide for the society in a you know unique way. And that's just changed because we live in a world where people move you know out of home to go to college and then get grab a career in a different city, and it's a lot more transient. So it's less grounded in a specific role in a specific society. So I think a lot of people look at that and are like, wait, why are the contracts there again? And originally they were there because, well, you're not just making a commitment to you. You're making a commitment to your children. You're making a commitment to your society. And that enriches. And when everyone does that, it enriches the whole system. And I don't, I'm not convinced that that's irrelevant now. I think that there's still something kind of beautiful about saying, okay, I want to, really merge my life with you and in all the details too and legally and all the contracts and papers i don't know like it, it can get a little bit uninspiring when you're like you know, getting in the weeds of everything but i think the point was uh yeah we are we are the same unit through and through and i don't want any part of my life to be off limits Separate from you because in order for us to be what we need to be for this culture, for this society, for our neighbors, we need to be a united dynamic force in the world. So I don't know. That that's more or less compelling now in today's culture, but that's how I see it.
0: No, I I think it's so important, you know. Like, so I, I have two kids. I'm one year postpartum with our youngest. And you hear all the time in the motherhood community, it takes a village, it takes a village to raise a family, to raise children. And I mean, where does that village come from, right? It comes from a lot of the time and each person's village is so different. And I know during COVID, a lot of those villages were virtual and online and online communities and things. But how amazing is it to have that village where it is two families totally uniting and helping to childcare and support the parents and support the elderly and everything like that. And there is something that I agree with you is so enriching about that. And, And I do think that is that is so important. And you've even spoken about the benefits to having kids. So we do stuff on TikTok and I know you're huge on TikTok. There's a huge uh, anti-natalist, like it's like Gen Z hates kids. They never yeah, want to have yeah. them. They think they're ruining the world. They comment on all my videos <laughs> and uh, it's yeah. it's very funny. But what, like, what do you say to that? And, and what are the benefits of having kids and having a family in today's society when we move so fast and we are more transient
2: yeah yeah i uh i get the most flack <laughs> <I> <laughs> on my channel when i talk about like hey having kids is a good idea people get more mad about that than anything else i say oh well,
0: they hate it and yeah. uh
2: it's it's wild it's not politics it's not religion it's having kids is good what did you say yeah so <laughs> it's i don't know there's a lot of different ways that you could think through it i usually actually just kind of try to address some of the fears and some of the reservations that people around having kids. I think having kids is self evidently a good thing. Like it's, it's something that's enriching personally, but also re- enriching for like the human race and it should probably keep going. And so we should contribute to that in a lot of ways. Like, I don't know, it's, it's, it reveals kind of your just philosophy on life. And so we're kind of getting into the realm of opinion and, and worldview here, but some of the benefits that I've seen having kids is I think it actually is going to, um, well, a couple of things, it's going to help the environment. It's going to help uh, human flourishing. It's going to alleviate people from being in poverty. It's going to promote all the good, like economic things that you want in the world. And if our population keeps decreasing and people continue to refrain from having kids, all the negative things that we're worried about are going to continue to to grow. So that's like on an upper level thing mm-hmm. that might not be compelling for everybody. That's yeah. fine. But like, <laughs> It's, it's, uh, there's this, there was this lie that went around in like the 1970s. Some economists were really worried about something called overpopulation. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, Hey, everyone stop having kids. There's not enough space on the planet for everybody. And that was like widely. You know, found to not be the case. And economists for the last 40 years, I've been talking about how that's not the case. Actually, if the human population keeps decreasing and decreasing, we're going to have a real problem because healthcare is awesome right now, which means people are living older and older into their later years. And retirement isn't just this 15, 20 year thing. It's like a, maybe a 30, sometimes 40 year endeavor. And so you have a majority of the population withdrawing on the economy and withdrawing on I don't know, kind of the social services that we have and a minority of people who are being born and being, you know, welcomed into the workforce and contributing to the economy. So there's just there's like this flip. It's a lot like the housing market when there was like that uh, that big crash in the housing market and everything
0: went to hell.
2: It's the same (laughs) thing, but in the world. Yeah, it's the world economy. It's something if you're interested in that, I know it's a little um, niche and not everyone. cares about all that, but it's something called demographic winter. There's a documentary you can see on it. There's a lot of writing on it, demographic winter. And the whole case of it is, Hey, if we don't have kids, the world economy is going to flip. And we've already seen this in places like Japan, China, like there's a lot of places where the population is majority elderly. And if we don't keep that balance, right. Then the world economy is going to crash from the world economy crashes. People go into poverty. Um, People spend less money on the environment. People spend less money on like renewable energy and all those kinds of things because people are trying to live. They're just trying to feed their kids and survive and, you know, eat. And so if you care about things like human flourishing and the, you know, environment, the best thing you can do is to have a kid, to keep awesome. the economy going. But that's yeah. like upper level, right? That's that's not no, super but, maybe compelling, just no, personally. No, but
0: but I, I I gotta say I think it is because when I hear from younger generations and like hell, this was a reservation that I even had uh, thinking about the um the environment and the damage that people can do, and then I was like, no, like I started getting more involved in environmentalism because of my kids and because I want them to be able to enjoy all the same stuff that I enjoy and not have a future of war and famine and drought and everything that bad comes with, you know, the environment going to hell. And I think that's so important. And it's like we can really raise a responsible generation who cares more Mm -hmm. about the environment than any generation before us. So I don't think that having kids is inherently – bad for the environment. I think it can be great for the environment. Yeah, and, but that's one argue that argument that I'm, that I'm very often met with.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, it's maybe the number one argument that I hear. And mm-hmm. and so that's why I feel so like passionate to try to share another opinion on it. Cause it's, it's like a, not, another thing is not every human has the same carbon footprint. Like you, you have one, it all it takes is one kid to grow up and be like, Oh, I want to study the coral reefs. And then to you know, innovate a technology that could completely change the way that we're taking care of our oceans. Mm -hmm. All it takes is one person to start, you know, a campaign that revolutionizes the way we do fishing. Like, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not like everyone has like this net negative, you know, um, (laughs) you know, effect on the planet. Some people are going to change the world and it, and we need people, we need great Mm -hmm. thinkers. We need a diversity of opinions and perspectives to be able to tackle what's happening planet and so the best thing we can do is welcome more people to the table
0: i i I completely agree and i kind of want to pivot you mentioned something earlier you said something about codependency in a marriage here's the thing and if shane was here he'd he'd be saying the same thing we might be codependent how do we know if we're codependent and why is it a bad thing and what should we do to maybe not be codependent anymore Yeah, Cause like we, we work together. We have a business together, raise kids together in quarantine. We only hung out with each other and even not in quarantine. Like we're Mm -hmm. on the same two on two basketball team. We kick all the asses of all the friends that we have. We like, (laughs) we, we have the most fun together, but I think it has led to an atmosphere being codependent.
2: Mm. Well, I think codependent there's, there's a huge fear, I think in interdependence, which I think is healthy. So it's, it's a hard distinction to be able to pull apart because the reality is that like we want, we want to be dependent on our partners. We mm-hmm. want to feel like our lives are intertwined and mixed in with the people that we love most. And we want to feel like we can count on them. We want to feel like uh, they understand and are rightly attending to our deepest needs and our deepest desires. And so that's not a bad thing <sighs> and to, to feel deeply connected and even yeah. uh, like Oh man, I feel so much better when I'm with you, and when I'm away from you, I feel worse. Like that is a good thing. That's mm-hmm. not. That's not bad. Codependent is when I have problems or I have things that are my responsibility and to undertake and to handle wisely and to steward, and I'm offloading that onto you, um, or I am using you to cope in a way that is unhealthy with something that I need to be addressing directly. So, for example, like, um, you know, there could be. Maybe someone in the relationship is struggling with deep depression and, you know, even like suicidality and they feel just like they don't have a lot going on in their life that they feel really engaged with. Maybe they're dealing with some sort of really intense trauma from their from their past and and a codependent attachment to a partner might look like, if you're not around, I'm going to kill myself. If you break up with me, I'm going to end it. And there almost becomes this like hostage situation where the person's holding themselves hostage in order to maintain a certain kind of behavior from their partner. And I think what you find in codependent relationships is it has the front of seeming really intimate, but when you dig underneath it, it's highly manipulative. There's lots of lying. There's um, lots of stuff just going on in each partner that they should Really, kind of start to sort through themselves, and I'm not saying that in an uncompassionate way. Like, no, no, absolutely. I'm a therapist. So that's my whole world is, is being with people <laughs> in those situations.
0: Yeah. i
2: just the, the reality of it, though, is that codependency, in its most extreme sense, is using the other person to regulate emotions in me, um, or reactions in me. That I would even maybe specify that to regulate the avoidance that I have of things in me. Okay. That I ought to be dealing with. So that's a whole world that we could explore. But
0: no, I maybe a short- I believe it. That could be a that that could be its own giant podcast. And you know, marriages are so nuanced. And anytime I speak about or Shane and I speak about ours on the podcast or, you know, in a post, whatever, we hear from people saying, Oh, well, that's not true. And it's it's like, yeah, no, it's not true for you. It's it might be true for us and you are living a different authentic experience. And everything is so incredibly nuanced. And even just communication, right? like, we talk about communication all the time. I'm a really terrible communicator, Matthias. I'm like, terrible. So <laughs> <laughs> Shane communicates too easily. Like if something's bugging him, he'll just be like, bah, blah, 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 and say like- what's bugging him. <laughs> but then me, I hold it in. And I like, mm. I don't say it. And then I let it build up and build up. And I'll go on having a great day being, you know, like, happy-go-lucky, just having a blast, singing, dancing, whatever. And then, like, yesterday, this is what happened. And then my three-year-old pulled all the diapers down from, like, the diaper rack. And then I went to Shane. I was like, how could you let this happen? Like, look what she did. How could you let this happen? This is your fault. And he's like, Alex, like, you were, like, literally skipping down the hallway ten minutes ago, like, the whistling dixie like whatever just having a great time and how would you get so upset and it's like i have a, the ability to compartmentalize the things that uh like piss me off and not yeah. bring them up and then i heard you talking about this thing and and you got it from somebody else's writings but it's if you've been married for married for 50 years that's what 18,000 days and it's like those yeah, little yeah. things build up. So I, I was hoping you could touch on the importance of talking about those things and being able to get even the little things off your chest because nothing's a little thing in a marriage. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, that's so well said. Yeah. I think I have so many of those situations too where, <laughs> where just with my wife where I'm like, you know, you. it's almost in these tiny little minute things. It's not, I think a lot of the arguments that either kind of lead towards repair or kind of create distance in a relationship. It's not just the big arguments about should we have kids or Mm -hmm. should we get married or, you know, where should we retire? (laughs) I don't know. Like, it's not (laughs) these big domains. It's typically just these Mm -hmm. small ways of handling seemingly minute, like insignificant daily routines. And when there's a conflict of will, when you want to do it one way and I want to do it another way, how do we go about that? And that's what the Gottmans found, right? So like that Gottman research we were talking about, they were like, we can observe just how they handle these minute little arguments in the first year of their marriage. And we can tell you that if they're going to make it the long run or if they're going to get divorced, like they have the ability to predict with 96% accuracy. That's,
0: that's wild. If someone was
2: going to get after 10 minutes of talking to them.
0: That's wild.
2: Yep. Yeah. That is wild.
0: It's just crazy. It's crazy to think that relationships can almost come down to a formula is kind of what that sounds like to me. That's so fascinating. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I think what he saw was the presence of a few particular things. So one was, do I get highly critical and start tearing you down when I feel vulnerable or when we're in conflict over something that matters to me? Or do I come towards you gently? Do I come towards you um, believing that you had a good intention, I just need to discover what it is, and even if it's not, I'm I'm gonna forgive and move towards you. Uh, like that's that's the first thing. Another one would be when there's ambiguity about what you meant by something, or you're late, and I don't know why you're late, or you left something out, and I told you to remember to put it back, but you didn't. Am I quick to write a script? About all your nefarious intentions, or this means you're like oh, he clearly doesn't care about yeah. me. He doesn't listen. He doesn't care about my needs. Like oh, he's late probably because he's, you know, just on TikTok scrolling around. <laughs> you would rather be out with the boys grabbing a beer than than home with me. You know, do yeah. you write these scripts in your mind about what this means about the relationship and all these negative spaces, or do you wait for the evidence? And it's not even like do you write do you sugarcoat everything? That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking like like you can get mad once you find out that. He really was out grabbing a beer with the boys instead of, you know, <laughs> home when he said he was supposed yeah. to be, you can get mad as you want then, but just don't get mad before that. Like, wait for the evidence. Like, cause maybe he gets home and he's like, oh yeah, I got pulled over. You know, I got a ticket I'm, I'm pissed, you know? And, and then you don't have to go down this whole rabbit trail of, oh, you don't love me. No, it's just, yeah, he got pulled over. Uh, those little minute, just mental games. It's like, am I quick to run to the worst case scenario? Am I quick to be judgmental and critical? or? Do I just wait until I have all the data on the table and then try to handle it and and handle it in a way that's gentle? Being honest, of course, Mm -hmm. but in a way that isn't critical. All
0: right, Matthias, let's take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Tushy. The future of toileting has arrived, folks. Finally. Okay, it's been around for centuries, technically, but it's been hideously expensive, costing thousands. But now, the brand new Hello Tushy 3.0 Modern Bidet Attachment is here to level the playing field.
1: That's right. Alex said bidet in case you thought she said something
0: different. (laughs) Did I say it funny? You said it a little funny. Well, this bidet is stylish. It is eco-friendly. It is easy to install and it's affordable. The Hello Tushy 3.0 doesn't just cleanse your butt with a precise stream of fresh water. It cleans itself before and after it's used with a Smart Spray Automatic Self-Cleaning Nozzle. It is high-tech.
1: It cleans itself. It's kind of like a cat and a bidet.
0: Yes, Shane. I think that's the perfect way <laughs> to describe it. And the nice thing is that it attaches to your existing toilet, requires no electricity or additional plumbing, and cuts toilet paper use by 80%. So the Hello Tushy bidet essentially pays for itself in a few months.
1: Essentially, it definitely does. What's There's no essentially about it.
0: I, I, I guess I should say actually pays for itself in a few months. There you go. And because with Hello Tushy, you don't wipe really at all. You just poop, spray, dry, and then you're good to go.
1: I may never wipe again.
0: And sanitation is simple. They have the Schmutz Shield. This is uh, actual lingo, which offers easy cleaning. And the knobs are naturally antimicrobial. So if you've already got a tush on your pot... We say upgrade to the 3.0 model. And if you're new to the revolution, join millions of happy Hello Tushy customers right now and have a clean butt with every flush. So go to hellotushy.com slash thisfamilytree and get 10% off your order and free shipping on the Tushy bidet, which is only $79 to begin with. The offer is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is hellotushy.com slash thisfamilytree.
1: But we are also supported by
0: the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. This is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor that you're going to find anywhere. It's the Michael
1: Jordan. It is the Wayne Gretzky.
0: Yes. What else? Who else? Who's the golf?
1: Serena Williams. Yes. Venus Williams, too. I forget who's better. I know they were both at the top of their game at one point, but you get the idea.
0: It is the Cheryl Swoops of baby monitors.
1: I used to love Cheryl. Same. Okay. Same.
0: I think it's it's a great analogy, but there's no physical contact. And here's the thing that I really, truly love about this monitor with a lot of baby monitors, smart baby monitors that detect breathing, they have to make physical contact with your baby. Like would they put a sock on your baby or a chest strap or something. The Migu Pro smart baby monitor uses no physical contact because they have like this military grade sensor fusion technology and it is truly incredible. It would monitor Betty's breathing and I could actually get some like shut eye.
1: The only socks that go on my baby are on their feet.
0: <laughs> what is great is also that it works with your smartphone to alert you of changes to your baby's vitals and nursery conditions. There's crypto security. Shane, what's that mean? It means no hackers. Nobody is going to get in there because this is something that kept me up and stopped me from actually buying a Wi Fi baby monitor initially. Because so I was like, I don't want people breaking in and checking out my baby sleeping. But the Miku Pro smart monitor actually has something to like, makes it impossible. This is all like military technology, it's very crazy. And of course, they have amazing HD photo and video and great night vision. There are custom dual Ole Wolf speakers and a two-way microphone, which means that Miku not only plays original sleep sounds and lullabies, but allows you to talk to and comfort your baby, which is key. You know, if you're downstairs hanging on the couch and baby's fussing a little bit, all they need is to hear your voice to go back and get some shut-eye. It's, it's a good system. But if you want this deal, you go to MikuCare.com and use the promo code FAMILYTREE10. For 10% off. So know
1: this. Just family tree 10
0: And this is available only in the U.S. But if you are in the U.S. And you need a baby monitor. MikuCare.com and promo code FamilyTree10. No other monitor is a Miku. And now let's get back to our interview with Matthias. See and and that's something that I find. Even within my wider group of friends. We're always trying to work on. Shane's good. He's so uh, rational. And he's never thinking over the top things with me. But it's like. I'll convince myself that he's dead in a gutter if he doesn't call me at mm. a certain time. I'm like, he must be dead. Like, that's it. Like, and then I'll start to panic even more because I'm like, he, he got killed somehow. Like, how did this happen? And then I'll start like yeah. planning the funeral in my brain. I'm like, how am I going to go through with this? Oh. And that's, you know, that's something that I personally need to work on. And I know a lot of other people are like that. And I actually had um, a listener write in a question to our podcast about a month ago. And I didn't address it because it is so far beyond me. And I know that you have touched on this. So I'm going to read her question, but it kind of has to do with reacting and, you know, writing these narratives in your head, but then also with a bigger issue. Um, But she says, uh, her partner looks at pornography and it makes her feel insecure. And she doesn't know how to address it. And this kind of encompasses two things we've talked about, right? Communication, and then writing these scripts. And it's like, if she's not communicating her needs, or what makes her feel comfortable or uncomfortable, he's not necessarily possibly from his perspective doing anything wrong in their relationship. And maybe there's nothing inherently wrong with what he's doing. But I was hoping maybe you could kind of address that because I don't know what the heck to say to that.
2: Right. Well, I mean, it's it's like you can go down like we we're just talking about these rabbit trails of, oh, this means that he's not attracted to me. This means that he's this. This means that he's that. Like You can come up with all of these theories about, oh, he's looking at porn. That means, you know, X, Y, Z. But the reality is you don't know where he's at until you have a conversation with him. And, and here's what I see a lot of people get kind of stuck in is that maybe initially in the relationship, they didn't know the kind of impact that pornography was going to have in their relationship. And they kind of saw it and they're like, oh, that's not a huge deal. I know a lot of guys do that. Like, yeah, go ahead. I don't, I don't really mind. But then further on in the relationship, it's like, okay, you're asking me to do things that I'm super not comfortable with or that I find kind of degrading or, or you're not asking me to do anything. You kind of just seem content without me. And, and it's like this whole world of hurt. And I don't, you know, for everyone listening, I'm not trying to say that like everyone should feel this way, or this is the way that everyone should think about it. I'm just saying four people that. Are experiencing pornography in the relationship as a negative presence in the relationship. Mm-hmm. This is how I kind of handle it
1: mm-hmm.
2: is, you know, have a conversation in a way that isn't critical, but that expresses how you're feeling. Maybe a good way to start with that would be like an I feel statement. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to talk about, okay, this is what I'm feeling. And this is the impact that your pornography viewership is having on me. What do you think about that? Tell me how you're feeling about that. And so that could look like, hey, I've just been noticing that, you know, we haven't been having sex, you know, frequently at all. And, and I don't, I don't want to say that's because of the pornography use. I just know that that's something that you seem to be going to a lot. And I don't know, I'm just kind of worried. I, I think I'm worried because I really love connecting with you. And I really love being close to you. And I want to be close to you. I don't know, I, I'm, I'm nervous that pornography is getting in the way of that. Something that you're thinking. And notice how that's not judgmental and critical. No, that's not,
0: i actually like, you're just warm. a gross
2: pervert. Yeah, <laughs> you're just, <laughs> you know, you're just, being honest and mm-hmm. then they can say oh i don't think pornography is the problem i i, I know I'm, I'm just really tired at work or this that and the other thing and just be like it's really important to me that we connect i want to find a way that we connect together or like so let's say though that the pornography really is actually maybe like a moral thing that, the, that maybe the spouse is having trouble with mm-hmm. like man or woman like let's say that hey that isn't something that i'm okay with i think it's degrading or whatever mm-hmm. you know the perspective you have on it uh i want them to stop they don't think it's a big deal how do i go about that it's mm-hmm. It's again, having a conversation about how it's emotionally impacting you. I think when we come out of the gate really strong and you say, that's really gross that you're doing that. You really don't care about me. You'd rather be with those women. It, it inspires defensiveness. They're like, no, no, no. I don't really want to be with those women. No, I'm not trying to degrade women. This is... And then you're not even really talking about the thing you want to have a conversation with. You're talking about if pornography degrades women. And that's not the philosophical conversation you wanted to have tonight. Like <laughs> you wanted to talk about the emotions you were feeling, right? On a Tuesday
0: like, right before your favorite show.
2: <laughs> Let's talk about the uh yeah the effect of pornography on the psychology of a man or woman. Oh, that's not what you want to talk about. You yeah. want to talk about how it's you. you want to talk about your relationship, and that's what happens when we get critical. It changes the topic of conversation, and every time without fail, because um it's just going to rise a the fence. So a way around that is to talk about the effect that the thing that you're frustrated with is having on you, and this transcends even pornography. This could be about anything. It's like, hey, I. I know that we talked about at the beginning of the relationship that this is okay, or hey, we talked about that it was not okay. And I know that you've been doing it and keeping it from me. I just feel super grieved to learn that you've been looking at this this whole time. It makes me feel really nervous to trust you. I'm really scared that, um, that you don't, I don't know, that you don't find me attractive or that you, you care about that more than me or that, uh, that if I came to you and told you about how I was feeling that you wouldn't listen to me. I'm I'm not saying as a judgment, I'm just worried. I think I have a fear that I don't know how to bring this up with you in a way where you'll hear my heart because the only reason I'm bringing it up is because I want to connect with you. I want to be close to you. I just, I'm not trying to edit you or change you or restrict you. I'm trying to draw near.
0: Yeah. And and I think that's so important. And like from the community that I come from um, online and a lot of our listeners are, Women who are either thinking about having kids in the near future—we have a lot of families, a lot of women with kids—and it's, I find that when it comes to topics like this, for the with the conversations that I've had, you know, women's perspectives have changed. So maybe initially, when they were a little bit younger at the beginning of their relationship, they were genuinely okay with some things, and then when their body started changing in postpartum and with childbirth. And then just with age too and your feelings of self-confidence and security kind of go down, that's when the fear of other things kind of arises. And it's just – it's a dynamic within the relationship that changes and then there's a fear of bringing it up because you were once okay with it. And I, I think that's a hard thing And communicating those things that it's just like something in you that has changed.
2: Yeah. And it's okay to like revisit things. I think there's a lot of guilt that we feel because, well, I told him it was fine. This, it's not his fault. He's been, and it's like, well, yeah, but we didn't really even know what we were consenting to all the time, and so we, things are always up for negotiation. That's the idea. It's, it's like, yeah, back then I thought this was fine. After I've seen the effect that it's having, or maybe you, it had a pretty like neg- negligible effect at the beginning. Right now, it seems to be pretty present with me. It's actually been bothering me. I want to open up that conversation again, and. I'm not trying to punish you for doing something in the past that I said was fine. I'm just saying, hey, moving forward, I actually want to re—I want to reevaluate those terms. <laughs> I want to <laughs> relook at that because, yeah, uh, I—and again, I think reexpressing over and over because I want to be close—that really kind of puts someone at ease. Because I think what what can happen is this conversation can feel really judgmental, feel really critical, and it can shut the guy or girl down you know, to wanting to edit that. But if you really kind of come forward, like something I like to say, a little skill that I that I teach people is just talking about the talk. And that's when you don't know how to have a conversation. You don't know how to bring something up. You talk about that. You say, I don't know how to talk about how I'm uncomfortable with you looking at porn now. I'm really nervous you're going to get angry at me. I don't know how to tell you that I'm uncomfortable with it. But I don't you to feel defensive or like I'm angry at you or think you're gross or anything. I'm just, I really just want to have an honest conversation. Will Will you help me? <laughs> you know, like will That's you help genius. me talk about this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, and for me, it's it's like anything, like something as little as why did the kid throw the diapers off the shelf in your presence? Mm-hmm. For me, it's talking about the talk, and I think that is such a Like a practical, useful thing that already makes me feel comfortable in bringing up the little things or the big things, and you know what I mean. Like I I think that's a great, a great piece of advice.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I always find too, if you find that anger is the thing that you're trying to talk about, and like I'm pissed that you're doing this, I'm frustrated, I'm irritated Mm -hmm. about this. I, I typically try to push people like look at the emotion underneath the anger, because typically there's three things. There's more than three things, but typically it's either sadness, shame, or fear. Those are the big three: sadness, shame, or fear underneath anger. So, pornography, you know, is a good example. He's he's looking at porn. You feel like you guys aren't having sex a lot. He, you see his search history. He's looking at it every night. You're furious. Okay, well, why? Okay, why are you furious? Okay, I'm grieved. It makes me really sad that he doesn't come to me with that. Or maybe I'm fearful. I'm fearful because the what he's searching for doesn't look anything like me. He's searching for situations. That I'm really worried that he wants that, and I'm not actually. I'm not sure if I'm okay giving something like that. So there's fear there, right? Talk about the fear. Talk about the sadness. Don't, don't approach it out of, I'm pissed off and I need to tell you about it. Like Not that that's wrong or bad, but, but look a little bit deeper. Try to get to that underneath emotion because that'll actually open the person up to hearing you in a way that might bring you way closer and into way more depth. Mm-hmm. than just, I need to tell you about how furious I am with you. Does
0: that make sense? Yeah. No. Absolutely, it makes sense, and it's just you know that connective tissue and and finding that plane, I think, where you can both have a deeper understanding for what the other needs is so important. And I did. I have another listener write in asking about you know her relationship did not work out, but she is still very in love with her recent ex, and it's because they couldn't heal. She said she worded it as healing their attachment styles. So hmm. okay. I, I, I didn't really know what that means. Like, do you know? Can you make sense of that? Hmm.
2: So you're saying that she, um, she has having a hard time moving on from a past relationship because.
0: Well, she thinks it could work it could be... out. Yeah, she wants okay. to work it back out. But um, he is having a hard time healing his attachment style. But I don't know what ah, that means. Okay.
2: Yeah, well, an attachment style is, is a way that we connected to our primary caregivers when we were kids. So our parents, our guardians, whatever, you know. So there's typically three different ways that we attach. There's something called like a really secure attachment, which means we're really warm and trusting and we feel like we can get our needs met. We feel that if we're in need for something, the other people not only are attentive to that, but know how to actually satiate that need and address it, right? So that's that's like a really healthy attachment. And then attachment can go awry in two different ways. One would be like an avoidant attachment where it's it's more, I don't really have faith that you can, one, even notice my needs, much less address them. And so I'm kind of on my own. I kind of got to look out for myself and look out for number one, like maybe, and this isn't always like a malicious thing. Sometimes it's neglect or um, addiction or something really intense, but sometimes it's just like, I don't know, my brother had a disability or my brother was ill and I had, it seemed like you guys paid more attention and maybe, maybe you needed to, but I often felt like I was just in the shadow and I was kind of on my own. And so it can have a really extreme, you know, like where there's abuse, where there's neglect, it can have almost these subtle notes to it also where, I don't know, your your parents were going through a divorce, you went through a move, someone lost their job, and you kind of fell into the background. And so you, the lesson that you left out of that was, I'm essentially on my own. And if I'm in need, I can't count on my primary caregivers to come and save the day. I'm by myself. So that's, that's one. And then the other one would be something called an anxious attachment, which is when the parents kind of inconsistently meet the needs. So sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And they And that's really frustrating so what that does is it creates an anxiety where i have to kind of control or find the pattern in my parents you know caregiving in order to make it work so a good example of that might be you know if if i can just um, avoid mom when she's drunk and find her when she's sober or hide the bottles then we'll be okay like i can hide the bottles i can pour them down the drain and then she'll be sober and then I can get my needs met because when she's drunk, she can't, or when mom's single and I'm not trying to target out moms here. No, like it no, 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 yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's, it's like, if I can just maneuver these things, Oh, I'll, I'll attend to, you know, my dad's emotional needs. And then if I can just do that well enough, then he'll attend to mine, you know? So there's this anxiety that underneath kind of permeates just how you interact with all relationships. And so you're really nervous and kind of, codependent in romantic relationships because I gotta find the system. I gotta find the rules to the game in order to get my needs met. And what that means is I have to control this, this, and this, and I have to manipulate in this and this and this way just to get my needs met. And so those are there, there's more. There's disorganized attachment. There's there's a few others, but like the the kind of the higher up level is if you're trying to repair, if you're trying to heal from a relationship that went south and you feel like it shouldn't have, you felt like you were really happy. And then the other person says, Well, I just need to heal my attachment style. There might be, you know, kind of themes underneath of uh I'm the kind of person who essentially is always looking out for number one and I don't really know how to open up and how to connect with you because really my needs are my own. And I don't know how to let you in to attend to that at all, even in a healthy way. Or alternatively, on the anxious side, I feel like I wasn't being fully honest and I caught myself manipulating or pushing you in certain ways in order to get my needs met and I don't feel like I'm a good fit for you because I'm I have to deal with some things myself cuz I'm not happy with how I operated in that relationship or alternatively feeling either of those things towards the other person like the other person was doing that towards you does that make sense
0: no it, it totally doesn't if if you are you know an anxious type of person and this is more shame in uh, the relationship, and I'm not calling him, he'd be saying this if he was here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But how do you manage your anxiety, like his day-to-day anxiety, without it going on to your spouse, your kids, things like that? Like, how do you try to be more copacetic if you are kind of being overrun by your anxiety?
2: Well, I mean, there's a lot of different answers to that question. Something that comes to mind immediately for me would be, there's a few different things here. Being really grounded in the present moment and being grounded in your values is going to be something really important because anxiety is, is two things. It's uncertainty and it's fear about future catastrophe, right? And so when I'm in a relationship where I'm feeling super anxious, maybe I'm uncertain about how they're feeling or what they're thinking, or if they're mad, or if they're having a good time, or if they think that I'm just doing this, right? So there's a whole world of uncertainty. And then there's a whole world of future catastrophe. Like, Um, they didn't text me back. Where are they? Like, maybe, you know, like you were saying, maybe they've (laughs) gotten a car wreck, maybe they're in the hospital, you know? So how do we hold and navigate all those anxieties? Well, when we're uncertain and we can't read people's minds, when we can't look into the future and we can't predict everything that's going to come, we center back in on, okay, what do I have in this moment right here? What do I have access to right here, right now? Okay. Maybe I'm sitting here with my kids. Maybe I'm sitting here with my husband or wife. I have the relationships that I have. I have the knowledge and the understanding that I have. And then number two, like what do my values tell me about how to act in this moment? Like, even if I made the wrong decision, what can I look back on and say, well, I made a decision that was honest there and I made a decision that felt right. And so, I don't know, like let's take kind of a like the example of, I don't know, my husband hasn't texted me back. I don't know where he is. I'm worried he's hurt. Um, he's dead. What do, he's dead. What do I do? And... <laughs> I don't know. So we think, okay, well, we don't have access to the future. We don't have access to the uncertainty of where he's at. What do I have access to? Okay, I got to take care of my kids right now. Um, Bedtime is in 30 minutes, whatever. All right. And then so I'm going to be grounded in the present moment. That's what I'm going to focus on. And then number two, what do my values tell me? My values tell me I should probably give him 30 minutes. It's probably okay if it's like 30, 45 minutes. It gets past an hour or two hours. Then I'm going to make a phone call just to like see if anyone's okay or call a friend, call who he's with maybe calls the reception to see when he left, like, okay, I'll call in an hour, you know? And so then the idea is like, okay, maybe even if the situation didn't turn out, well, maybe he was in the hospital. that whole time, you can look back and be like, I made the best decision I knew how to make in the moment with what I knew. I was taking care of my kids. And I had like a pretty reasonable plan that if it was going to stay out an hour, that I was going to call and check up. Like, what more could I have expected of myself being someone who can't read the future and can't read minds? Like, and so that's, that's kind of the groundedness that starts to address the anxiety. And it doesn't make the anxiety go away. It actually just gives a pathway through it. And because if we're anxious about something, all that means is that it matters to us. Like the reason the uncertainty bothers us is because we care to know, <laughs> you know, like we don't really, if, if all the anxiety went away, then all the value goes away. All the emotional good attachment goes away. The bad thing about anxiety is when it pushes us into behaviors and the ways of acting that violates our values mm-hmm. and is actually uh, just I don't know kind of creates the catastrophes that we're worried about. And so,
0: yeah, yeah. no, I and I, I think that's a really a beautiful way to put it. I I never have thought about anxiety like that as you know, there's value there, and that is so right. And it's like I think about what makes Shane anxious, and it's the well-being of the family, like. Irrational fear of like job loss things housing markets change and I guess that's not totally irrational in this day and age, but it's like, you know, all these things oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's real. and these anxieties that he has kind of they make him discontented in the sense that uh, he always needs to be working. He's got like five projects on the like big significant projects on the go and he's always trying to find that stability, fulfillment with that to ensure that our family's happiness essentially. And what I try to do is try to get things to slow down a bit and be like, look, like there's so much fulfilling stuff happening in our lives right now. But then sometimes I'm too much on the slacker side of things. So we we do balance (laughs) each other out well. But (laughs) But how do we recognize fulfillment or you know, find fulfillment or contentedness in what we have in our lives? Like, is, is there an easy way to kind of recognize that?
2: Well, are you asking, like, how do we identify the things that really matter to us? Or how do we be content with what we've identified?
0: How, I guess, how how can we begin to recognize that there are things in our life that can give us fulfillment without having to do, do, do so much and always be chasing you know, yeah. more money—the sh- the hit TV show that you're writing, whatever it is—I'm mm, speaking specifically okay. to his projects, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's such a great question. That's a hu- superhuman question. That's like one of those big <laughs> things that permeates every domain of life.
0: Is, it's it's the last I one I'll it. ask you, Dory. <laughs>
2: yeah, sure. No, it's a good question. It's, I think, uh, I don't know. A few thoughts around that would be. The kind of goals that we pick for ourselves, the kind of things that we're pursuing, they they have to be grounded in their values and things that really matter to us. So when we think about, okay, I'm pursuing this TV project or I'm pursuing more money, it's like, well, why? Like, because like you could you could take a you know, a job promotion that would give you 15000 dollars more a year, but it would take up another 12, 13 hours of your week. And the question is, like, would you rather spend that 12, 13 hours with your kids and you know, playing in the backyard? Or is that twelve thousand really going to open up an opportunity for you that's connected to your values in a greater way? And you could think, well, we we need the extra money because what if something happens? But that's that's a game you could play into infinity. Like, you know, there's there's always the promise of, but more money will make us more secure. Yeah, maybe there's there's some wise things to do. Like I am a big Dave Ramsey guy. You know, so like have your emergency fund and you know have some savings if, in case things go wrong for sure. But there's uh. You know when we're uncertain about which decision we we want to make we think about well, what really matters to me what are the things that that make my life rich and make the lives of other people around me flourish And and maybe that means i need to press into my career with more intensity because i really want to build this podcast or this business or this whatever into the best thing that it can be and that is actually that that just inspires this like light in you and that's probably good because Maybe the version of you that's most inspired is the version of you that's going to be best for your kids and best in your marriage and best for your friends. And, and uh, I don't know. It's when we're looking at uncertainty, we look at our values, we look at what matters to us. And we don't just maybe attach to these very uh, finite goals of, I just need to get to 100,000 subs, or I just need to get to this much money in the bank, or I just need to pay off debt. We attach ourselves to more value-driven goals of, I want to be the best kind of father I know how to be in the moment. I want to be someone who's dependable. I want to be someone who is a good steward of the things that are in front of me. I want to be the kind, like, okay, what does a good mom mean? Like, that can mean a million different things. It's, it's not like, oh, a good mom knows how to organize the sleep schedule just perfect. And when to, you know, (laughs) it's getting enough tummy time in or whatever. It's, it's like, no, a a good mom's attentive to the best that she knows how to be in the moment. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be days where you're more or less tired and, and all you have to do is is focus on what's in the moment right in front of you and to live out your values in that moment to the best of your ability. And we're human and we're flawed. And so when we make mistakes in that place when, I don't know, like uh, we have a four month old. And so like we were watching TV, we just, the TV was too loud. We didn't know that little one was crying. And then we run in there and, and she's like screaming, we're like, how long has she <laughs> been crying for? And we're like, we're terrible parents. It's like, no. You, you know you're just trying you're just trying your best and you when you mess up you're compassionate towards yourself and you try to learn something from it and and it's uh it's it's not a bunch of maybe big mysterious things it's all stuff that we can say and know like all these things are fairly self-evident it's it's um it's sticking to them in the moment though Mm -hmm. that's that's maybe what I'd say And, and giving yourself grace when you mess up no, that's that's I, how I put
0: it. And that's huge. And that's huge. And that impacts every facet of life, right? I mean, if you're parenting, it, impact, it impacts your parenting. It impacts your romantic relationships, your marriage, your work, your relationship with yourself, I think. It, and that is something that I'm trying to get better at giving myself grace within my relationship with myself as I age and as I, you know, take on more responsibilities and with other lives and other humans. Because that adds – so. like you've got a four-month-old. That's a lot – Of responsibility and and that is hard but no that's so important and Matthias like the way you communicate uh, your information is so engaging and this is the thing like when when Shane first showed me the video of you talking about uh, how to speak to a misbehaving child we were so enthralled with everything you were saying and really I I, I just want to commend you on how you do that and how you're able to I think uh touch so many different people in different regards you know you speak on so many subjects and you don't shy away from anything and i i totally respect and love what you do and shane would be echoing this but thank you so much and where can oh, listeners go so to kind. oh absolutely but where where can people go to find your podcast um your courses like everything that you offer where can they go yeah so
2: um Matthias j barker is kind of my username everywhere so m-a-t-t-h-i-a-s Matthias j barker and then um yeah i do a lot of workshops and, and so that's i have a podcast and i'm on tiktok and instagram and all that but i've been putting a lot of energy and time into kind of going a little bit more in depth and being able to give some more practical skills so sometimes those one minute videos are helpful but actually having like okay here's a step-by-step guide here's how to do it let's think through different scenarios here's your homework you know that that kind of takes it to the next level so um, on my website, MatthiasJBarker.com, I've been building workshops around a lot of different topics like trauma and anxiety and marriage and conflict. And so, um, yeah, that's what I'm up to. That's what I'm doing. So, yeah, I'm really thankful to be on. I'm really thankful you took the time and had such a meaningful, rich conversation.
0: I oh my these gosh. topics. Yeah, no, same with yeah, me. And and great. they're so important. They're so important. Every marriage, on some degree, you know, whether it pops in just for a second, one of these topics, or whether it's an overarching Theme or controversy in your life. I think that it is so important to speak on. So I I really appreciate you coming and chatting about with me. Absolutely, thank you so much. (laughs) Take care, Matthias. Nice to meet you.
2: Yeah,
1: nice to meet you. That was Matthias. Great job. I think he saved our relationship (laughs) because I'm on edge right now.
0: (laughs) You're on edge. You're on edge.
1: I'm on the brink of being on the edge.
0: Well, look, we talk about anxiety. We talk about how to bring things up, and you know, I mean, you could hear these things over and over. I know we have people to discuss these topics a lot, but it's implication. We got to start, you know, not implication, application. You got to start applying it to life and uh, yeah. But awesome interview. He knows his stuff, and I really appreciate how he gives his information.
1: Indubitably. But who is our <laughs> next guest?
0: All right, so we have Leslie Bangamba, And again, harrowing story. You're going to, to learn a lot from it. But before we get to our interview with Leslie, let's tell everyone who we're supported by. We're supported by Maple's Labels. Frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, and leaving home never to return, Julie Cole and three of her mom friends knew they could do better than just scribbling their kids' names on some masking tape. From there, Mabel's Labels has grown into an award winning, market leading company loved by moms and dads and kids and teachers and everybody that's gonna, you know, have to deal with kids and all their stuff alike.
1: We started labeling our stuff. This is no joke. We actually started losing our stuff in the cottage because there's many people staying at this cottage with us. So we label our glasses. We label other things, and it's come in very handy.
0: Oh, it's amazing. Uh, Lucy loves them because some of her labels, you know, they're in the shape of hearts. They have hedgehogs or cherries on them, little rainbows, and they are so cute. But Shane and I love them because their line of products features baby bottle labels, allergy and medical alert products, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items. Plus, they are so durable. Like, I mean, laundry, dishwasher, and microwave safe. You could even
1: hit them with a hammer.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure why you'd want to, but they are 100% guaranteed for everything except the hammer bit. So head on over to mapleslabels.ca to start creating your very own labels and use the promo code thisfamilytree15 for 15% off your order. They deliver internationally and offer free standard shipping in Canada and in the US. So again, that is Mableslabels.ca and this family tree fifteen.
1: But we are also supported by
0: My Breast Friend. My breast friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies.
1: So my is just spelled my breast is spelled B-R-E-S-T and Friend is just spelled the normal way.
0: Yep, no A in breast. You remember that because you do want to get your hands on this nursing pillow. And for more than 25 years, my breast friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. Lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible. Shane and I can attest to this. We both love this pillow. And can I use this analogy twice in one episode? But it's the Cheryl Swoops of nursing pillows.
1: It is the Venus and Serena of nursing pillows.
0: It is simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. You can purchase My Breast Friend online at buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. And now let's get to our interview with Leslie. Lovely. Well, Leslie, so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for sitting down with me on this Family Tree Podcast. And your story – here's the thing. I've heard of your story a lot. Mm -hmm. I've heard it so many times, whether it's like in mom groups, um, people sending the news article, or, you know, from different people that I follow online, things like that. But I've never actually listened to your story and i didn't want to i know what happened generally but i want to hear it from your mouth um first and you know i i think it's so impactful because of course no parent is obviously no parent wants to go through something like this but no parent is ever expecting to go through something like this and like just you know the closest thing i have was when I was like standing with my toddler at the top of the stairs. We were sitting and she was like throwing stuffed animals down. I was right there. I had her like at the top of the stairs. I was blocking her from falling. Somehow she still fell down, got hurt. She was okay. But it's like I was right there. I was protecting you. And like how did this still happen? It was – it blew my mind. And yeah. So, you know, things happen. And I'm so sorry you had to go through this, but it has created, I guess, what seems like a vocation for you as a safety advocate.
3: Yep. Definitely not a calling that I intended to have. And I'm so grateful for you guys having me. Our daughter's story is a situation that we're in the middle of the pandemic, (laughs) hanging out at home. And I always uh, share that she's my third. I always list all my children because this is my, my third go around. So by this time, I feel like I have a good grasp of what I'm doing.
0: you feel like a pro. And I, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't
3: want to call myself a pro, but I feel I'm comfortable. I'm, I've reached a point where I'm comfortable as a mom and just knowing, okay, just being, paying attention to my children's cues. So with our daughter, prior to finding out that she had actually ingested this battery, we, she was cutting teeth. She was teething. She was 18 months at the time. And she, I remember the days leading up to the incident, we had checked her molars, given her some Tylenol. She wanted some extra cuddles. Nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing
0: that would. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm going to pop in. As, as you're talking just to kind of, just so I can paint a good picture here for my brain too. Okay. So this is leading up. So at this point you're looking at her and you're saying, Oh, nothing like you're not even expecting anything is out of the ordinary. Is that what you're saying? I'm okay. nothing
3: out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. She was all her symptoms for me. Um, and her father were okay. She's teething. Cause we could see the two teeth popping out. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Um, mm-hmm. You know what? We're we're not going to be too concerned. So you know, we gave her the Tylenol. We gave her the cold, um, something cold to gnaw on. She wanted extra cuddles. You know everything that our pre, our boys had done. I have two older boys. on Doyle is ten, and Akima is six, and everything she had done previously when teething before. So nothing that would have told me what was about to happen. Mm-hmm. And on the day in question, Alex. She, do you want, is it Alex or Alexandra? I always ask because some people.
0: Alex, big out, whatever you see fit. Okay.
3: (laughs) Okay. Because I just always like to ask, it's important. She was in great spirits. She woke up that morning. She was playing with her brothers. She ate a whole bowl of oatmeal. So appetite had returned. So nothing to tell me things were about to go left very quickly. And That afternoon, as I was loading my dishwasher, she was playing on the kitchen floor, playing with Tupperware, and I'm just loading the dishwasher, looking at her, loading the dishwasher, looking at her, and then she suddenly made this sound, and she just keeled over, and when, yeah, she just keeled over, like, just fell over onto her side.
0: And, like, nothing leading up to, it was just, like, out of the blue?
3: Out of the blue completely out of the blue. Wow. So she keeled over. And at first I thought she was joking because she likes, she likes to prank. Like she gets stuff from her brothers. And I was like, okay, Amelie, left. We're a French speaking Mm -hmm. family as well. And nothing. So I immediately grab her and I remember grabbing her and she was just so stiff and her eyes were rolling to the back of her head. And then within seconds, blood was pouring out of her nose.
0: What? Oh my yeah. God. Oh my God.
3: And um, that th- those moments, I, and whenever I share the story, those are the moments I... I remember key pieces, but every time I talk about it, it's like I might forget something, but something else will come back. Mm-hmm. And I just remember frantically, I, I was frantic. I remember yelling at her brothers to, to I don't know why I was yelling to my younger children to come, but I just didn't know what. Like,
0: of course. I'd be yelling and at I, any living person <laughs> within the block. Yeah.
3: And because um, they had been playing with my cell phone and I, I said, bringing my cell phone I have to call, I have to call 911 and uh, I remember grabbing her and I, I put her down momentarily because I I have to redo my renew my CPR but I remember when I took CPR it was I, I thought maybe she had injured her back and I grabbed her up so quickly that maybe I was like oh shoot I should lay her down flat her lips were blue the blood, she did not look good. And I remember just grabbing her and running across the street to my neighbor's house, begging for help. Just why did I run to my neighbor's house? I don't know, but it was a uh, instant reaction
0: at this point. Like, did she have breath? Like, did you know that she was, she was limp. Oh, my
3: she God. was limp. She was limp. So I was yelling my, my daughter's, Dying. I had no idea what was happening. My neighbor, thank God, she opened the door and she spoke with 911 because I had dialed 911, but I was so frantic and I was yelling at my daughter to not fall asleep because she was really going, she was so limp and you could tell there's very little life left in her. And 911's asking me these questions and asking, and of course, they're trained and then they were. Amazing, but still like, I'm just yelling, like, come here now, my daughter's dying. So my neighbor, bless her heart, um, she spoke to the 911 dispatch operator because I clearly could not. And they arrived in what felt like forever. By then, everyone had was out of their house. Again, we're talking April, 2020 here. Everyone's home, lockdown, measures are in place. But I, I have to highlight the, the one thing, it's although it was a pandemic, people were weary of, of, of um, getting COVID, um, I will never forget the generosity of just all our neighbors just helping us. Like, for a sec, like in that moment, COVID did not exist. Like, my one neighbor, I remember she went and grabbed a blanket because in that moment, you're running on adrenaline. I didn't realize my daughter was also cold from it, was still a chilly April. And she was like, Your daughter's cold, but you know, I, is it? this sounds more, but is she cold because she's gone? Yeah. Was she cold because I don't, you, but well, I just the, remember you, that moment.
0: Yeah. And well, you, you said, you know, her lips were blue and blue. she was stiff. And that those are things that we associate with death, right? So exactly. that's, I, I, that, of course, that's where your brain would go.
3: And, um, The ambulance came, it felt like forever, but it probably wasn't. And I remember them asking me like, okay, what happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? And I'm telling them, I'm like, I was loading my dishwasher. She keeled over, you know, exactly as I said earlier. And they're looking at me like, okay. And they're taking her vitals. By then they've performed some CPR on her and she's come back too. And she's crying, mommy, mommy. And I'm telling them, I think she might have hit the edge of the dishwasher and hurt something in her spine. That's the only thing I could come up with, Alex, because aside from that, I had no other idea.
0: Yeah.
3: And at first, I really believed that's what happened. But then as she's crying, mommy, mommy, I'm seeing her lower legs move, right? So I'm thinking, oh, okay. And they're obviously looking at her like, okay, well, you know what? Let's just Let's just get her to the ambulance. Let's sorry, Let's get her into the ambulance. Get her to the hospital and get her assessed. So they did what they had to do. We got to our local um, hospital here in Red Deer. Um, upon arrival, upon arrival, they get her in and they're taking her vitals and what have you. And as they're fixing her, and every every medic is asking me what happened, and I'm repeating the same thing. I was loading my dishwasher. I think she may have hit the edge of the dishwasher. I don't know. So as one nurse is adjusting her, Amelie proceeds to, she's fizzing, like She wants to do something and then she proceeds to vomit. Oh my about,
0: god.
3: About a cup worth of coagulated blood. Like it it had it had that oatmeal in there, it and then it had like just like really big blobs of blood. And in that moment, Alex, I'm thinking, okay. Whatever was bothering her, it's out. Yeah. It's out. Like, Right. And I and I remember the nurses holding me back because I wanted to, like, sift through what she had just vomited. And they're like, no, we are going to go through this. You, like, you need to stay back. <sighs> so in that moment, I'm like, okay, okay. So um, then the pediatrician comes in and orders an x-ray. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, isn't it out? Like, whatever was bothering her is probably oh, no, like Mm -hmm. this, this ordeal is over. Like in my mind, in that moment, I thought this ordeal is over. She vomited a bunch of blood. We're good. We are good.
0: How could it, how could it progress into (laughs) anything else at this point? Like that seems like the worst thing, the scariest thing that could happen. And then also like the body just rejecting whatever, right? Like exactly.
3: Ignorance is bliss. I tell you. (laughs) So she performs the x-ray and in the x-ray, it shows glaringly with a halo effect around it what looked like a nickel right in her esophagus and I'm like what is that a coin and the doctor looked at me she's like "Mm, I don't think so I think it's a battery oh man and I remember being like a battery and she's like yeah she's like I think it's a battery and I'm like but it looks like a coin she was like I would think the same thing too, but with all that blood that she just vomited, we think it's a battery. We're going to have her intubated.
0: Whoa. And
3: and uh, we're going to be contacting the Stollery Children's Hospital in Edmonton, and we're going to have her transported there because um, if we try to remove it here and things get worse, we're not equipped to deal with that, but the Stollery Hospital is. So... I am standing there. I'm like, okay, again, I'm not really understanding what's going on. You know, like I never been in this space before um, in this capacity. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they take her away, they go to intubate her. And I'm just sitting there crying my eyes out because I have no idea what's happening. I, I have, I just, the worst feeling in the world, I would wish this on no one which is a huge motivator as to why I advocate because no no parent, care, caregiver, mm-hmm. anybody who cares about a, a young child should should go through this or feel this pain that her father and I felt. Mind you, it's COVID, so I'm alone. Her dad can't be with me. Oh, my God. Um, so they intubate her. Uh, the Stollery Hospital um, pediatric ambulatory team came to pick her up. So it consisted of a doctor, a respiratory therapist, and a nurse. So they tell us the plan. They're like, hey, we're taking her to Edmonton. You are most likely going to arrive before us. Once you arrive, just let them know your daughter's in ICU. Give her the name and we'll let you know the next steps. So her dad and I hop in the vehicle. Luckily our family friend decided had accepted to take our two boys so yeah. we weren't driving up to Edmonton with our yeah. two older children and we drove to Edmonton and upon arrival I check in again the same rule applies only one parent can go in because of COVID measures so um, I head up to the ICU Charge nurse comes to greet me. Uh, she's like, okay, hi, Leslie, yeah, Mili, they just got here, we're going to get her settled, the doctors will be out shortly to talk to you, and let, let you know what the next steps are. So, I'm like, okay, perfect. So, again, in that moment, Alex, the ignorance is bliss of, okay, I'm like, she's in the right spot, the right place, you know, I but I still in my heart, wanted to believe that it was a nickel, didn't want to believe that it was a battery. Luckily, I did not Google anything about a battery. Well,
0: yeah, I was just gonna say like, even if even if they said it was a battery, and I was in your position. I don't think like I, I learned a little bit since learning about your story. But I mean, prior to that, I would have just thought, Oh, okay. Like she swallowed a battery. Okay. Like get it out. Let's just get on with this. Get it out. We're fine. And, and that was my view as well. That's why when they
3: said they were transporting mm-hmm. her to Edmonton uh, in Red Deer, I said, well, can't you guys just get a scope and fish it out like a nickel? You know, you know, like I was just making these suggestions and they're just like, no, if, if, and when they and hindsight's 2020, 20. after going through what we went through, I understand why they said if things get worse, we're not equipped to deal with, with, with that. So the charge nurse uh, leaves and I'm sitting here, I'm talking to her dad. I'm saying, she's gonna be okay. You know, it's, it's just a nickel. It's just a nickel. They're gonna fish it out with a scope. We're gonna forget about all this in two, three days. And, you know, we'll be laughing. We'll be laughing, but like, ooh, what a scare. You yeah. know, like just, okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Boy, was I ever wrong. <laughs> Within 10 to 15 minutes, charge nurse comes running out. She's like, you need to come now. Your daughter's gone into cardiac arrest.
0: Holy shit.
3: Just complete flip of emotions. I remember running with her and... Just seeing a bunch of people around her. And looking up at the monitor, which was to the left of me, and every line was flat, every line was flat. And I remember thinking, what? No, no. So I lost it, Alex, just yelling at them, yelling at her as well, like, don't die. Like you can't go now. Like for those who don't know, I mean, is my is my rainbow baby and she is my only daughter and I, I just I remember yelling and the doctors, the nurses holding me back, calling her dad. It it was, excuse my language, it was a shit show. Like it was just
0: mm-hmm.
3: terrible. And um one of the nurses, because I, I couldn't even talk because I was telling her dad, you need to come, she's dying. She's like, she's dying. And I remember I think I went up and said she's dead. Like she's mm-hmm. dying, she's dead. But then I was like, no, 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 no. She's like, she's I was like just I reminded myself, no, I just kept on yelling at her again. And I don't know which nurse, bless her heart, decided to go and, and greet her dad at the entrance to bring him up. So that in hindsight, they did that most likely because they thought she was yeah. dying, like she was gone, cause, or else they wouldn't have let him come up. And uh, when he got up, uh, they had gotten a faint pulse.
0: Oh, my God. Just, just, did it just happen or like, did they use a different, defib- but like, how did that?
3: They were, <clears throat> I couldn't even tell you what they used Alex. Cause it was so crazy. Everything was moving so fast. I just remember people yelling, like just people mm-hmm. yelling, like picture the most dramatic scene on Grey's Anatomy or ER, mm-hmm. but this was real life. And um, they got a faint pulse and By this point, her dad's holding me and I'm saying, oh my gosh, she can't die, she can't die. And as I'm saying this, she goes into cardiac arrest again. And this time, it took a long time to get a pulse back. And in between, they're working to get a pulse back. We've now been guided into a room, which I, it was, they guide us into the room and they told us, okay, We've got another faint pulse. We are going to bring her into the OR for surgery, but we don't know. We don't know. We, we, so they took her in. Um, She had an emergency open heart surgery. Oh my God. And when they opened her up, they, when they opened her up, they saw that um, the battery had ruptured her esophagus, her trachea her aorta and her carotid left artery. And I have learned so much about the medical world. So your carotid left, your carotid artery pumps blood from your heart to your brain, your face and your neck. So that rupture also caught to the carotid artery caused her to suffer a stroke.
0: Oh my God.
3: So she was in the operation room in which what felt, like forever i remember i did not sleep a wink we did not sleep a wink i remember the first knock on the door and we didn't know if they were going to tell us she died on the operating table or if she like what happened so they um they came in and they let us know we're done the surgery they told us the damage each surgeon who would fix something. So there was a general surgery. There was ENT, which is ear, nose, throat, and and, and, uh, the cardiologist. So there were three different surgeons for all the different ruptures. And they said, we got the battery out. She required over four liters of blood transfusion.
0: Oh, my God. And just, just to remind people, she's 18 months old at the time? She's
3: 18 months old at the time. So we're not.
0: Oh my gosh!
3: So picture. I know in Ontario, you guys use the 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 milk in a bag. Yeah. So I'd say picture. So picture about she needed the equivalent. I would say of three bags of that milk, but in blood form, and she would require further transfusions while in ICU. Um, which is why I was, her father and I were blood donors prior to this incident, just because,
0: mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it,
3: it was one of those things you just started. But I, especially after my daughter's incident, I am such a big champion of of blood donation. I'm digressing for a split second, but it's important to mention it because 52% of Canadians are eligible to donate, yet less than 4% of Canadians do. 4 4%, Alex.
0: Oh, my God.
3: So when you, in the grand scheme of things, has everything was aligned? If we had a blood shortage or no blood, there would have been nothing that doctors could have done to save our daughter. So that's not lost on me. And I always um, ask people, if you can donate, please do. Because <laughs> um, those blood donors who I don't know and may never meet, they help save our daughter's life. Without them, we wouldn't have her. Back to uh, post-surgery, uh, she was placed on ECMO. ECMO, my non-medical term of it, Alex, is it's life support. It does the work for her lungs and her heart um, so that she can rest and heal.
0: And is, she, is she awake or not awake at this time? Like, are, not so They awake. have her under, right? Yeah, yeah, they have
3: her under. She's completely sedated. And she was placed on ECMO for two, I'll say two, three days. She was on ECMO. And ignorance is bliss because I remember one nurse when we were looking at her in ICU and it makes me laugh just because bless her heart, I wish I had gotten her name. She looked at me and she said, Google nothing. And she said that to me and I have very close friends who are doctors, nurses, and my sister is a nurse, one of my sisters, and when I said ECMO, no one freaked out or freaked us out. They just were like, okay, you know, we're gonna, we're rooting for her. We're gonna keep on praying for her. And in hindsight, if they had told me what ECMO was, I would have lost my mind because I, I you know, I, my the thoughts would have just gone, oh my God, like she's, she's dead. She's on life support. She's not even here. Like she's, but instead, in my mind, I was like, okay, you're out of the surgery.
0: Yeah,
3: You look pretty beat up.
0: You're resting. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
3: Right? I remember when they came, I was having a visit with her. And they like, like, okay, you need to leave the room because we are going to close her up. And I'm like, what do you mean close her up? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm just laughing at how, like, I, I did this This whole new world opened up to oh, me. of course. Oh, my uh, God. And I'm like, what do you mean close her up? They're like, well, she's on ECMO. We're going to, you know, they hadn't closed the area where they had opened her up for the heart surgery. I just seen the band-aid there. So I just thought it was.
0: Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And
3: Yeah. And uh, so we left. I left the room. And I remember just thinking, just praying so hard that her heart and her lungs, lungs would be strong enough to be on their work on their own. And I'll never forget the cardiologist coming out to greet me in the waiting area saying like, she's off ECMO. Her heart looks beautiful. Oh my it's God. It's pumping beautifully. Safe. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. And, um, but she would still have a long road ahead. It, it was, it, it was that she was still in ICU for a week and a half after that blood transfusions The whole gamut. I could sit there like her her discharge papers are quite lengthy. (laughs) A novel. But (laughs) a novel, honestly. And just, you know, she would be in ICU, then transfer to outpatient, where it was more monitoring the battery. Although it it had come out, what had happened was the chemicals had burnt a hole as well through her esophagus and her uh, windpipe, which created a fistula.
0: Oh, my gosh
3: so um and this was something we would discover post-surgery so they they had we had to wait and hope to god that it would close on its own and it took its sweet time but it did thank god
0: and a a fistula just for people that don't it's like an opening right and does it like does it always connect like two organs or just an opening in any organ
3: I don't even know. I'm not even gonna answer that because I would have no idea. I just know. I just know. In her situation, it was between her esophagus and her windpipe, and liquid. Like you should not have liquid going your windpipe. Like that's how you can get pneumonia. Aspirate, yeah. Like you know, aspirate exactly. So, and in her situation, luckily, it was they had just done a, a test to see how her esophagus was healing, and some of the liquid that was involved in that testing went into her windpipe and created issues for her. And they just couldn't figure out why. And then that's when they realized that's what had happened. So that was just so many, we had so many scary moments. I don't want to turn this into like this happened and then this happened.
0: No, no, I, I, I say it because honestly, Leslie, like this, it's so fascinating and it is so, I think illuminating for people to hear, you know, again, the importance of safety and just what problems it can lead to it could lead to one thing it can lead to another thing and it's like just like you said at the beginning when you thought okay like you know they got it out she puked it out and now we're good we're gonna be in the clear it's like i have the same level as ignorance as you did at the very beginning of all of this so I think it is very illuminating, and it's difficult for me to hear. Like, I, I'm still – I'm very emotional right now, just like from where I am in postpartum. My baby's a year. I'm, I am still got the crazy hormones going through me. And it's hard to keep it together listening to this story because that's the last thing you want to happen to your kid. That's the last thing you want to happen to anybody's kid, just like this super innocent thing, and it's, it's like the worst – it's the worst. And it, it's, it's so hard to hear, Leslie. Like
3: uh, oh Alex, I you know, I always say I I share, I, I share because I care and to educate, but not to scare. That that's definitely my approach because the reality is from a one mom to another, we are not going to be there all the time. We cannot watch our children 24/7. although full disclaimer, I've kind of become a helicopter mom, but we're working (laughs) through that. That's a whole other discussion, but you know, it's literally, yeah. When you put it in context, it was one battery that caused all of this and then she had to rehab. She had to learn how to stand. She had to learn how to walk. She was underweight. It was, it was a host, a whole host of medical issues that we had never dealt with before. And that was the domino effect of one incident. And we are fortunate that she survived because as I have learned, um, as I have entered this advocacy space, when one of these batteries is ingested because initially I was calling it a button battery, but realized it was actually a lithium-coin battery because these batteries come in different sizes. So a lithium-coin battery is mostly what will be found in a remote.
0: Would it be like, like a hearing aid battery?
3: A hearing aid battery is a button battery.
0: Okay, okay. So
3: those are smaller. So those are found exactly in watches, a hearing aid. But again, they can cause the exact same damage. And then a lithium coin battery is more like, it's found like an Apple TV remote or in a key, uh, a key fob. Think about how many times we let our children play with our car keys
0: my kids play with the remote every day like betty bangs it around (laughs) she bashes it the batteries fall out i put them back in like you know what i mean
3: exactly exactly right and even you know i even i have to learn to correct myself and because you said ignorance it's not even ignorance it's just when you don't know you don't know
0: yeah yeah
3: you know it's 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 not even about ignorance it's like i i did not know prior to my daughter's incident how Mm -hmm. fatal a battery could be if ingested
0: of course and I, I didn't. And you look you look at like in that whole experience, it I feel like just from what you described, there was several different times where you could have lost her because whether it was, you know, the poison, the the ruptures, the heart attacks, like several things and where what what now? Like what this is just over a year. Ago that this happened.
3: So she was discharged after 37 days in the hospital. And then we came home to continue uh, rehab. She is fed by a G-Tube, which is this cute little button thing attached, goes straight into her stomach and it helps get nutrients uh, straight into her stomach. Um, Sorry, so it, that has been. It,
0: will she use the G-Tube for forever?
3: The for- forever? I don't believe so. I'm optimistic that no, she won't. But I'm also reframing it, and that took time. If she has to, it's okay, because she's here. It helps keep her alive and healthy. So I really had to reshift my my relationship with her G-tube, because Mm -hmm. it was a constant reminder, let alone the scars that she has on her body that we now call beauty scars, I'm, I'm already working Good. with her, and I'm like, Amelie, show me your beauty scars because i don't even like, they're beauty and battle scar. You know, you know, it's I, it's, it's, it's I really am.
0: They're life scars. They're they're life scars, and because those like those <laughs> yeah. scars are there, she has life. So like, they're life giving scars, really.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So um, her G-tube, seeing the scars and seeing her G-tube, it used to cause me so much anxiety. Um, Feeding her was a whole ordeal. I remember even uh, I was talking to her dad the other day. I'm like, wow, we've come a long way. Like we used to go high to feed her. Like we were not, you know, this was a whole new world to us. And now it's, I will feed her with her G-tube anywhere. And people can ask questions and I'm okay with that. Like I personally am okay with that because it gives itself an opportunity for us to share her story Mm -hmm. and, and educate people on this because yeah, it's, it's, it's how she eats. She, we are working on her eating orally with an occupational therapist and her dietitian and she has a great team, but at the moment she's not where she was. So we still have a lot of follow up um, at the Stollery Hospital in Edmonton, which is an amazing, amazing organ hospital.
0: All right, Leslie, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes what, Shane?
1: The best bras in the world.
0: The best bras in the world. You know, I even saw her at the college with my mom right now. She's got a few Bravado Designs bras up in that suitcase.
1: You don't think I noticed? (laughs) Why was I in your mother's suitcase? (laughs) Well, we'll talk about that later.
0: <laughs> no, but truly, I got my mom hooked on them. I got my best friends hooked on them, and hooked was, or
1: clipped on them.
0: Well, Shane, good question. So, I initially got into Bravado Designs bras when I was nursing Lucy three years ago. So, I used the bras with the clips so that I could nurse easily. And like, I don't fuss with, you know, typical nursing bras or you know, covers or things like that, just because I don't have the time. These are easy, they are so practical and they're so beautiful and they just give you, you know, the best support that you could want. However, they came out with an everyday collection. That means no clips and you do not have to be a woman who is producing milk for a baby to be wearing them. It is just for everyday wear and they're incredible. So that's what I'm wearing now. And that's what my mom's wearing. That's what my cousin's wearing. That's what my neighbor Sherry's wearing. They are truly so comfortable.
1: You're really keeping tabs on everyone, eh?
0: Hey, I, I gotta know who's supporting us, babe. But folks, you want these bras. They're lovely. And you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com. Or you could head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that is bravado designs.com and this family tree 20
1: but we are also supported by
0: mini Miash. mini miyosh is a premium organic ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in toronto they believe in quality over quantity and they make i'm telling you the best basics for your littles i'm talking fashionable wardrobe staples that are super soft comfy and timeless and can be passed from child to child regardless of their gender
1: and we demand that they begin making adult clothing and they might i heard they might
0: i heard they might but it's like it's like a rumor it's a quiet rumor
1: i started that rumor
0: <laughs> i think if we say it enough maybe it'll come true well. but their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using gots certified organic cotton and low impact non toxic dyes so they're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. It does. It does. And you can find the company online at mini or at mini Miash on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're going to get 15% off your entire order. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is mini this and thisfamilytree15.
1: Best kids clothes ever.
0: And now let's get back to our interview with Leslie. It's, it's so amazing that I I heard and correct me if I'm wrong, but you made, uh, I know that you guys had a GoFundMe and you paid it forward to the hospital.
3: Yes. So that was something that arose because I was not expecting the amount of generosity that we had. Just for some backgrounder, when this incident happened, it happened April 9th. I was scheduled to return back to work for my mat leave April 15th. <laughs> Originally, I thought, okay, I'm just maybe going to need like a month, an extra, mm-hmm. which would turn into no, I, I can't return to work at the moment, because we don't know, we, we just don't know. And the amount of medical appointments that she had, and um, just the care and attention that she needed to have that, let's be frank here, I said, unless it's my mom doing it.
0: <laughs> no, I'd be the same way. No, I, I know, you know, I'd be the exact what, same way
3: what peace will i have going into the office i won't so um and my two of my best friends grace and cynthia started the gofundme they wanted to start it from the moment they found out we were in the hospital but my pride wouldn't allow me to and finally a month in they were like we're doing this and you're not saying no So I just accepted the help and I was like, you know what? Thank you. So yeah, we paid it for it. It was uh, for her birthday fundraiser, which is also a permanent thing around here. (laughs) Um, We decided to raise a thousand dollars and then we would match with a thousand dollars and donate it to the Stoller Hospital Foundation. Um, We ended up exceeding, and I think we raised a total of over 4,000. Oh my God. That's awesome. It's awesome. Right. And it's going to such a great cause and, They are just an amazing organization. I'm a big supporter of if wherever you are, if you can support um, your children's hospital, Mm -hmm. I know for you guys in Toronto, it would be sick kids.
0: Amazing hospital. Yes. Amazing hospital. Mm -hmm.
3: These, you know, it's a gift. You may not need them. Like I was fortunate that all three of my pregnancies were very fairly healthy Mm -hmm. and, and uneventful, but what a blessing it is to know that when you need it, it's there.
0: And they're amazing. Like They're so amazing. I've had experiences with sick kids. My pregnancies were tough. My kids are healthy. My pregnancies were tough. Uh, And even that, and you know, that was so inconsequential uh, in comparison to your story. But of course, when any parent is going through something like this, nothing is inconsequential. You know, you hear one scary thing about your pregnancy, about your child's health at any age, and none of it seems inconsequential. And I I want to ask you about, you know, when talking to people, because you're you're so open about this and sharing your story to help other people, which is like a generous, the most generous thing that you can do with your time. And you're putting yourself out there and you're sharing probably the most vulnerable thing that's ever happened to your family, right? So is there ever um like are you ever met with, you know, feelings of shame or stigma or anything like that? Over what happens and if you are, how do you get through that?
3: Honestly, so when the the situation initially happened, we actually only told our very close inner circle, Mm -hmm. like family, and just that really close knit inner circle of ours. Because yeah, I can speak definitely for myself. Uh, The incident happened when I was home with the kids; Mm -hmm. their dad was at work. On top of that it's like it's my third kid how do you how do you how does this happen through and other th- just the shame it was i absolutely i alex if i'm being completely honest i still struggle with mom guilt yeah and it's morphed into a mom guilt of of different varying reasons but definitely one like how could this happen to our daughter you know me saying and i'm learning to reframe the words like not saying how could i let i did not let this happen i didn't of know course, of course but, yeah but, you know, but the brain is a powerful muscle. <laughs> um, so working through, okay, this did, I did not let this happen to our daughter. Just how our life has completely changed since this incident. I was not um, a medical mom. I It's a whole new world for me. Um, and even like sometimes as I've entered these spaces, there are parents who I've connected with who advocate for their children, f- whether whatever um, prognosis their children may have gone through or are going through and it's like i feel guilty like my daughter's alive right? and their children have passed on but then i remind myself like no like yes my daughter alive but i'm advocating so that this doesn't happen to someone else right um so i i just i should be in this space you know it's not because she survived that. okay i need to like not be in this some some people call it grieving moms or what have you but we we do when we talk with each other we do say we're like what a shitty club to belong to (laughs) you know and also just as i have decided to enter this space also the guilt sometimes of like oh do people and i i think i've I've said it to my therapist and i mean i say it i've said it maybe a few times publicly too i'm like do people think like i let this happen so i could do this you know but do you know what I mean, I mean
0: though? The, our brains are and I was talking to my husband about this this morning about something totally different but our brains are wild places where things happen and I don't know why they happen. I don't know why my thoughts go to the places they do sometimes and it's so irrational and it's not fair to ourselves and this is why, you know, mom guilt in at any level needs to be just abolished because it Completely. does nothing for us it does nothing for our kids it does it, it does absolutely nothing because obviously we are all there trying our best and doing that and just as you are and that's like where did you learn you know you talk a lot about reframing and mm-hmm. reframing the G the G2 reframing your thoughts around what happened and things like that like did you learn that from therapy?
3: uh definitely from therapy mm-hmm. I definitely learned that from <laughs> because it was such a heavy weight Mm -hmm. very heavy weight and every time I had to feed her I was like oh my gosh like why did this happen and it wasn't more like woe is me it was just like oh my baby girl I'm so sorry you know I was it like feeding was heavy Mm -hmm. you know but it had to happen and it was just the feelings afterwards and just and I, I think for me prior even to my daughter's incident I've always been a positive person but 2020 was the year where <laughs> shoot, I need to get reframed tattooed on my <laughs> wrist or something because yeah. I had a lot of moments where I was like no we have to reframe this Leslie or else because the the feelings that I, I was feeling prior to reframing it were not serving me whatsoever they were not serving me they were not helping me they're not helping my family so I had to really reframe and I also um, when I fully decided to jump into the child advocacy space, I have to, I'm, I, I mean, I know some people say fake it, you make, but I really want, I tell our story from the heart. You know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 you know, this is what happens. Sometimes it's like, oh, I've been repeating myself over and over, but that's what happened. Like I can't add stuff just to yeah, make it sound, you know, a different way. And, and this is the reality. So And I think I'm a firm believer in when you share a story authentically and honestly, you never know who else you could be helping who may be feeling the exact same thing, but they might not be able to find it on the interweb chat rooms. Because mm-hmm. this mom, <laughs> you know, like these these honest feelings you might be like, oh my god, am I the only one feeling this way? Am yeah. I the only one thinking this? But no, you're not alone. You're not alone, parents. You're
0: not alone. <laughs> so, did you did you and like are you still getting a lot of support from groups like that and from reaching out?
3: I have not done anything within a group setting. Mm-hmm. I have actually gotten a lot of support from connecting with other grieving parents who either had a child pass from this incident. Um, There's one mom I've really connected with. She, her daughter, unfortunately Reese, um, she did pass from that incident and she's done amazing things and started a foundation called Reese's Purpose. And she's just the kindest soul. I've I've connected with a lot of different parents who are advocating for their children, whether they're Mm. here or up above. So I, I don't. I haven't gotten backlash, but I have gotten the odd comment here and there. I'll never forget. One person said to me, "Oh, you know," and I don't know what they were trying to gain from this, but they were like, "Make sure this doesn't happen again."
0: What? Yeah. What? And I was. Like, was this like an online uh, thing?
3: No, no. It was someone I someone I, I know like this was said to my face.
0: Do you just tell them like and, no shit. No shit. <laughs> like, you know, Alex, you
3: know when you're so in that. shock that someone just said that to you? Yeah. I, I I couldn't respond. I I just I was just shocked. I, I it was the host of feelings, right? Because like I already feel guilt that this happened mm-hmm. and then now you're telling me oh make make sure this doesn't happen again. Wow. Okay. Um. So, for the most part, though, I can say we've definitely gotten more love than ignorant comments.
0: Yeah. Of course. Um, And and I'd hope so. And you know, you even describing all of your neighbors and the support that they had in during a pandemic is so beautiful. And I think that people are inherently good, and you know, wouldn't typically make comments like that. I think that I think mm -hmm. that is rare. But that's that's wild. Yeah.
3: But no, we for the most part, we have been so supported. uh, And I'm so grateful for that. I don't take that for granted. Mm -hmm. Because people don't have to care, but they do. (laughs) So uh, I'm definitely grateful for that, which has helped me uh, further want to amplify and share the message Mm -hmm. anytime I can.
0: And you know, I'm so grateful that you are doing that because it is so helpful and it is so helpful to hear uh and i want to talk about how you're doing that because i know that you are and you mentioned you're partnering with duracell right now so what does that look like you know because it it makes sense but then on the other hand i'm like you know painting the battery is the all evil thing so on one hand And, and
3: you know it's funny you mentioned that because when i decided to say i'm say Leslie you are going to advocate for this I had two options I really could have a demonized batteries I could have but who's going to listen to me because the more research I did the more I realized that they are in life-saving devices as well it's not just you know key fobs and remotes and (laughs) children's toys you know they're in so many life-saving devices, like our thermometers, you know, things like, so especially in the pandemic, ironically, thermometers were used everywhere to measure your temperature, you know, for, for all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So I decided to educate and not, you know, demonize and make batteries my enemy. And one day, one of my girl, (laughs) one of my girlfriends sent me a media release from Duracell that they had released a new lithium Coin battery with non-toxic bitter coating. Oh, wow. And she sent this to me and she was like, you need to reach out to them. So here I am, Alex, in good old Red Deer, Alberta. Like, okay, (laughs) they don't know me, but I need to get in touch with somebody. So let's just say there were LinkedIn research searches. (laughs) And I um, reached out to them and I shared our story. And I said, I really want to thank you for being a thoughtful corporate citizen. And this is our story. And I would love to champion this battery because this is what happened to my daughter. And this battery was, with a non-toxic bitter coating, was created to help prevent uh, accidental ingestion. So we connected. The meetings happened and the partnership was born. So I am such a firm believer in this because it is a last defense of safety, I call it, like as parents, caregivers, it's our job to obviously monitor and care for our children. But for a company um, such as Duracell to be a leader in innovating a battery to help prevent uh, accidental ingestion is huge. In my opinion, it's huge after going through what we went through with amelie you know all of our batteries in the house are now <laughs> with the non-toxic bitter coating because even if you have like a security system in your house yeah. for example like the batteries for your yes. sensors those take a a coin battery so we switched all of ours out to those
0: so i'm, I'm curious if if this one is ingested will mm-hmm. the coating then prevent Anything from, like, what What will so happen? What it's intended
3: to do is the non-toxic, the bitter coating, uh, and I always say it's non-toxic, <laughs> but the hope is that when the young child, if they are to place it in their mouth, they will automatically spit it out because it has that bitter coating. They're not, so it's yeah. to help, yeah, it's to help prevent, yeah, an accidental ingestion. So I, I, I think... It's an amazing product. It's an amazing innovation. No one else is doing it. So I. W- it, was, it was just kind of serendipitous how
0: no, absolutely.
3: everything came to be. And I'm just so proud that um, not only my partner, but our story is also on their website. And they also have so much battery safety to help families.
0: That's, and you know, that's me. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking like, oh, this would never happen to me. This could never happen to my child. It's like, no, it literally could happen to anybody. And it's like Shane and I, my husband and I, we keep such a watch on our one-year-old right now because she has been going through this like oral phase for months now. My eldest, she only went through it for one month, was over it, never put things in her mouth again. Our baby, constant, constant. Yesterday, she was, I don't even know how it was crumbling, but there was grout in um, our bathroom floor tile, like in between. It was crumbling in one area and she was picking up the grout and trying to put that in her mouth. (sighs) And I'm like, (laughs) nothing about the grout is appetizing, right? And 10 times a day, I feel like Shane and I are trying to fish something out of her mouth. And if you never had to do this with your kid, then they did it when you weren't watching and swallowed it. And luckily it wasn't something that could be super toxic because there is nobody on earth that this – hasn't happened to in some regard. And you know, we're just we're lucky that it hasn't been a battery, it hasn't been a balloon, it hasn't been something that could a severely. a magnet. It
3: hasn't been
0: a magnet. So I, I yeah. don't know much about these, but I my husband told me that they were so dangerous.
3: Extremely dangerous. I'm still like I am still learning so much. And I just share that, but that's one of the the things that has been discussed because uh, being that I live in Alberta, I wanted to get a number of like how many ingestions of, of foreign objects specifically, especially batteries um, were in Alberta and they just track like, a general like foreign mm-hmm. uh, object ingestions and yeah, magnets were on there. That was something else discussed, magnets, batteries, uh, pins, um, but like it's, it's, wild. And I don't even want to venture off into the other complications that can happen. All I know is the magnets can, can stack and, and cause a host of other issues. So I just really aim to educate and just make parents and caregivers aware of, of, of keeping their home as safe as possible
0: Yeah, for
3: absolutely. Our, our young ones. And even for pets, I always say that too, pets, because some people are, are pet parents, right? Like, you wouldn't want – it would cause the same damage in pets if they were to accidentally ingest it.
0: Absolutely. No, absolutely. It's, it, it is it's so terrifying and honestly, it is so eye-opening. And the last thing I want to know from you, Leslie, is going forward. Like what's your plan for going forward? Not just for, you know, your advocacy but for yourself, for your well-being and because that's it's, – it's, it's a lot. <laughs> You're taking on a lot and you've been through a lot. It is. Um, so
3: this has morphed. So I obviously, if you ask me, what do you do? I'm a child safety advocate. Uh, mom to the A team, but child safety advocate. And I've entered the world of, you know, it's weird saying content creation.
0: Yeah. <laughs> because,
3: well, this is actually really my life. Yeah. But, you know, sharing that on a public platform and just building my brand as a child safety advocate has an influencer has a speaker um so I'm I'm excited and I'm just exploring every opportunity I have my blog going live next month which I am petrified so about
0: congratulations
3: thank you and it's just it's it's um it's been so surreal because even as a child safety advocate I don't mention it because like a soundbite but there aren't many people that look like me, a black woman. And historically, you know, we've been left out of these conversations. I think about a lot of
0: conversations,
3: a lot of conversations. And I think about growing up watching shows like 60 minutes or 2020 or anything. I don't recall ever seeing, I would say a BIPOC family, right. Let alone a black family, raising awareness sharing a story because i always highlight and you mentioned it earlier what happened to us had nothing to do with race had nothing to do with our socioeconomic class it can happen to anyone right so i definitely am making sure i'm i'm here to stay and have our my voice amplified and hopefully make other people feel comfortable in sharing their stories and it doesn't always have to be traumatic like ours but just you know, when we say we want to diversify and have diversity, it's diversity in all spaces, right? So, I, I think especially in the health in the health uh, frame of things, it's important to to have lend my voice there, but also in other aspects because you know I am multifaceted, so I like to do it all.
0: <laughs> well, and I so, I've gotta add too, like the Instagram space for parents and things is incredibly white it is like the whitest (laughs) space ever right (laughs) like it's like just like all it's it's all like me it's like it's all blonde white chicks that's all it is so this is like you are not only do you have an incredible story not only do you tell it from such a heartfelt way but you like it needs to be there and you are more capable than so many people to be putting it out there and that is so important right like that is so important not just for other people in the black or bipoc community to see and then feel like hey this is somebody that i can maybe get strength from to tell my story or Mm -hmm. feel like i can listen to and we're gonna have maybe more in common it's just feeling seen in that community because it is so underrepresented
3: so underrepresented, and I'm essentially, as it said, like I'm taking up space because why, why, why wouldn't I? It's like, you know, you go to uh, people always used to love to use like the bread analogy at a grocery store or the cereal analogy, right? Like, there's so many cereals, and I, like there's options, you know. So why wouldn't I want to? <laughs> hey, I'm Leslie. I'm Leslie Bynapo. <laughs> like, what's up? <laughs> so,
0: no, it's the best, so yeah. and I'm so happy that you're taking up space, and I'm so happy that you're here, and I've had. Like such a lovely time connecting with you, Leslie, and and hearing your story and fuck, like I feel so <laughs> <laughs> like it's heavy, it's heavy to listen to. You I know, know. Um, I know, it's really heavy. And now like go and get my kid and monitor her because again, she tries to kill herself ten times a day by eating things off the floor, and it's I'm gonna go change our batteries. Like influenced, I'm I'm changing all of our batteries. I- I, I really think that that is so important. But Leslie, where can people go? Where can listeners go to check out your blog when that drops Oops. and find you <laughs> online things that you do? Where can they do that?
3: So online, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Leslie Bangamba, which is spelled L-E-S-L-I-E-B-A-N-G-A-M-B-A. So bangamba not as hard as it sounds also you can find me under that same handle on facebook um and that will also be the website address once it goes live which i'm super nervous about but it's happening like
0: Dot .com yep Ooh, i like <laughs> so, that you got the dot .com cuz those are hard um, to get sometimes
3: <laughs> i know it was i remember when i was looking it up this whole uh navigating like i said i am I should stop saying I'm winging it, but I'm almost, I'm winging it because this is a new space for me. Everybody's I,
0: winging it. Always. Don't ever let somebody fool you. Nobody knows what the heck they're doing at any given time. Knows. And I'm not so ashamed to say like, I'm <laughs> figuring
3: it out. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember when I was looking, I'm like, do I want .ca.com? I was like, well, why not .com? Cause it's more universal, right? Like mm-hmm. the whole point, like our, the internet is global. So yeah. I was quite happy when I was able to get that .com. So and then I remember coming up, thinking of um, names, like something witty. And then I just thought, well, just use your own name. You're the one talking brand yourself. duh. Yeah. <laughs> like for this, you know, but I thought I had to come up with like some quirky name mm-hmm. or something. And I was just like, just make it your own name, Leslie.
0: <laughs> no, that's the best. So- I love it. No, I love it. And everybody should go check it out. And you were wonderful. Thank you. Honestly, thank you so much for sharing uh I know, and I know this is what you do now, but it is a personal story. and thank you so much for coming on and sharing such a personal story and just being so friendly. I you know I, I was expecting this anyway because when you first connected, you you got you and this is your thing. you do the video chats. I-
3: I do. <laughs> and it
0: took me aback. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I like video chatted you back. I had, like just woken Looking up. Looking stellar get talking out here. about, get I don't have here.
3: makeup on. I, <laughs> I, I love
0: you for this, but get out of here. <laughs> and, um, and you know, your warmth and just your nature to tell your story. And it's so inherent in, 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 I think, every way that you present yourself. And I'm really grateful for that. And thank you so much for sharing it with me and with our community.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm I'm happy we connected. It was it was just yeah me just, too. <laughs> it happened. It happened the way it was supposed to happen, girl.
0: <laughs> I agree. I agree. But have a great All rest right. of your week and look forward to talking to you soon. All right, Alex. Thank you. Bye.
1: Okay, that was the interview.
0: I could not believe what she went through. I could not believe how she was able to share that. It is. That is every parent's worst nightmare. Like, I've been thinking about it nonstop since she spoke about it. I remember you telling me even before I found out about her story about batteries. And ever since then, it's just been kind of at the back of my mind. But again, it's one of those things that you're like, it's never going to happen to me. It's never going to happen to me. Such a rare thing. And, you know, that's obviously what Leslie thought, too. And she then she went through it all.
1: And the other day, Betty had a AAA battery in her mouth. Freaking battery. So it's scary and yeah. it can happen to anyone. And uh yeah, quite a tale and oh a, co- a cautionary tale because I think we, we all need to really pay mo- more attention to these things of what could happen because anything can happen. Mm-hmm. And usually if it can, it will. Uh, but now let's get to my favorite part of the episode, which is where I kind of kick back. I relax. And Alex (laughs) answers listener questions. And she does her research. I heard, though, these questions were a little bit, not frivolous, but less researchable.
0: Okay. Well, you know what? There were actually two that I ended up doing a good amount of research for. But I'm excited. All right. So, first question. What is your favorite concert you've been to? So, I couldn't decide out of three. One was the Arctic Monkeys at the Molson Amp, like, I don't know, seven years ago. Just such a fun show. I just danced the whole time. It was so fun. Second or these are in no particular order, but I saw Manu Chow in Bilbao, Spain, and I didn't know who he was at the time. I showed up at a beach. It was a huge outdoor concert. It was free, and he's like a massive star, Europe, South America, uh, Central America. Every single person, there were like 100,000 people at this beach. Everybody knows every word to one of his songs. Like, you could just like feel the warmth and the energy, and it was crazy, and it was so much fun. Like, I'll never forget that night. And the final one I'm thinking about is Arkells, like our buddies band at Oshiega a couple of years ago, or I guess four years ago it was right before we had kids. And we just had a great time, Shane. Like, remember we were watching the show from like a really high structure, like a tower that like VIP tower. Do you remember that?
1: At Arkells? Yeah. That show wasn't as good as the one in Iverwind Stadium, though
0: well here's the thing the it, wa- it wasn't necessarily the show it was just everything else happening because then after they played we went with everybody in our little vip tower and we partied at uh the the what's it called that guy's house i don't from know from the show
1: well clearly it wasn't uh no a lasting well, memory for clearly
0: me. it was it was too fun a party but um what's the show i don't know with the guy that talks like this wait that's not how he talks He's he's the guys with the Canadian, they live off the side of the road in the country and they got the sister and. I have no idea. Yes, you do. It was like the the guy with the goth, the gothic guy that's on the show. He was like partying with us and he was like really partying.
1: I don't know. You know what I
0: mean? What's that show called? I don't know. With Derry. The guys, the one guy's name is Derry. We've watched like all the seasons, the Canadian show. I don't know. Ugh. All right. It'll come to me. What was your favorite concert?
1: um probably uh, leon bridges concert that you and i went to is really great i'm not a big concert person i don't have a lot of fun at concerts i kind of just go there and stand there and maybe i'm not a music person but Mm. leon bridges was very chilled out i got to sit down which i like mind you we ended up standing in our seats because we were like feeling it
0: oh my gosh we did not stop dancing
1: and yeah, that was that was a very cool vibe. And yeah, Arkell's put on a great show called The Rally at Iverwind mm-hmm. Stadium. And I thought that was great. Tim Hornsfield is called now. But yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And no, when so I was good.
1: younger, my friend Mike Veerman was in a band called The Racket and they always put on really great shows at the Casbah.
0: Nice. See, I love shows like that. Like I love like the small cramped bar shows. Like those are so much fun. I used to listen to a band called The Dinner Bells all the time at the St. Hollywood. It's so much fun. Any show that you dance, I say, is a win. But next question. What are your true feelings about heading back to school and potentially being around a lot of unvaccinated people? Well, my true feelings are that like I'm excited to, you know, do what I'm very good at, but I'm very nervous for like my kids aren't vaccinated. They're way too young and I they're not likely to get sick. However, you know, taking risks is just scary to me because we have been so careful and, you know, Shane's mom being in a um, a high-risk position and things like that. Like, it just, I don't want to get something from somebody at work. And you're just, you're getting every kid. It's like, you can't obviously tell kids that they can't come in if they're not vaccinated and things like that. So, I don't know. It's scary. And yeah, I'm a little nervous.
1: I've made a choice not to live in fear anymore. I like it. So, I don't know. I'm pretty, whatever happens, I guess, happens. All I try to do is my best to keep everyone safe.
0: Just mitigate. And,
1: yeah, just try my best. And if something happens, we will deal with it when it comes. I've had terrible things happen over the quarantine and change my life perspective. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens, happens. And let's just try to have the best time we possibly can.
0: Heck, yeah. All right, next question. J-Lo and Ben are back together. Have you ever gotten back together with an ex?
1: Maybe for some uh, like frivolous romance mm-hmm. between the sheets You don't need to
0: add the between the sheets. I think people get that when you say frivolous romance.
1: Okay. But I, in case they wonder, like, it, was he in a bed? Yes, I was in a bed. What? What? Why are you looking at me like that?
0: Because you're trying to drive this point home, I think, to annoy me. No, I'm not. Yes, you are.
1: Am I? Yeah. Maybe this is some psychological thing that I don't that even know what I'm you doing.
0: know I get jealous and you're trying to drag this point home.
1: Well, the question itself is setting me up for downfall. Oh, you have already, you
0: ever... but you are... yeah. You, you, you said frivolous romance. You ended there. Okay.
1: But I, just in case some people didn't know what I meant, I'd like to clarify. <laughs> A lot of our listeners sometimes don't understand me. They misinterpret what I mean. I, yes. <laughs> okay, yes, All I right. have. You I'm happy? gonna
0: Yeah, yeah Thanks,
1: listener question.
0: <laughs> I'm going to lead by example and just say yes, also for frivolous romance, but that's pretty much it. Never uh serious with an ex. You know, once you break up, we've been pretty broken up. Next question.
1: It's hard to put together shattered glass.
0: <laughs>
1: Dude And do, have the bottle be the same, you know.
0: You are so wise. You're it's a good so analogy. Wise. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, do COVID tests hurt? I'm getting one soon so that I can go on a trip. You, for me, it was like super uncomfortable, but didn't like hurt, hurt. It when was did just you like we all got one as a family. Remember oh, up yeah. at the cottage? It's just really um, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it like, it made my eyes water. I was like really tearing up, and I was like laughing. So they're more uncomfortable, like your eyes, my water. I was like laughing uncontrollably during mine um, because it was just uncomfortable and ticklish. But it doesn't hurt, hurt. Anything to add? It's
1: just really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not, it's not a pain. I think you said it best.
0: Yeah. Okay. Next question. Does Canada have gun issues like the U.S.? So like obviously we do have gun issues and I don't think that we should be taken out of the conversation when it comes to, you know, trying to control have better control over guns but it's not like the u.s so i was this was one of the researchy questions uh canada does not have the right to bear arms which makes it easier for the government to control just you know inherently so canada currently ranks at number five as uh well this was okay so the the This thing was from 2010, this particular thing, but Canada was ranking at number five among 30 nations uh, in number of gun deaths per capita. So the only countries that were beating us were the U.S., obviously, Finland, Austria, and France. Uh, But gun violence has been on the rise since 2009. We've gone up about 81%. But again, uh, nothing like the state. So this is pretty interesting, but... They have, Shane, did you know this? They have more guns than people in the U.S.?
1: I would assume, yeah.
0: Why would you assume? Like, I would never assume that. Like, that seems wild well, to me. Well, because
1: it's like, guy has a gun, guy doesn't have a gun, guy has 30 guns. Guy, no gun, mm. no gun. So, because a lot of people have multiple guns. Cars, yeah. I think, outnumber yeah, people, Yeah, but it's too. like,
0: you, you'd think that so many people just wouldn't have guns that would make up for But they have 121 guns per 100 people. Like, that is absurd. Wow. Right. Yeah, that is. And this year alone. So 2021 has actually been a terrible year for gun violence so far in the U.S., even though we're only halfway through. But on the July 4th holiday weekend, there were three hundred and thirty six mass shootings, mass shootings that weekend alone. Jeez. Yeah. Like wild. So plus since 2021 uh, has started. Uh, there has been mass, mass shootings roughly every two days, and approximately 54 people dying of gun violence each day, every single day. Like that's massive. That is a huge difference, and and I think you'd be hard pressed to find an entire nation uh, that it, it has these problems that is a first world country. You know what I mean? Like it's it's wild. So Canada we do have uh rising gun violence from like illegal guns and things like that but we're still not close to the states next and final question are you and shane compatible with your star signs so it's funny because when i was prepping this interview i was feeling all romantic and i like we do not neither one of us knows anything about what do you call it astrology like nothing So it was kind of interesting to be looking this up. And I was, like, feeling all romantic and everything. And now we're sitting here and I think...
1: uh, I don't even know if we like each other. (laughs) I think the love is still there, though, right?
0: (laughs) The love is there. Maybe the like is winning. But all right. So this like one website gave me all the facts so it says intimacy we are 99 percent compatible it says taurus and pisces you're taurus right yeah i got that right okay uh taurus and pisces are both all about pleasure taurus represents the art of love making tenderness and sensuality the sign of pisces is a culmination of a sexual encounter an orgasm they have the ability to get lost in each other make their dreams come true and satisfy each other by pure existence Next, trust was 80% compatible. It says because of the Pisces tendency to enter each relationship with an idealistic approach, there is a great chance they will open up to their Taurus partner as soon as they realize how stable and secure they seem. The beauty of their contact is in the fact that when together, they both lose the need to hide and let their emotions grow with ease. Emotion were 99% compatible. Taurus and Pisces have a magical emotional connection for as long as Pisces don't change their mind and swim off, their relationship should be filled with love and wonder. With Pisces exalting Venus, I have no idea what that means, uh, the ruler of Taurus, This is not only love, but adoration. Taurus will feel for however long like the center of someone's world, loved and cherished to the point of unbearable beauty. If this feeling goes on, they could stay in a beautiful relationship for a very long time.
1: Why am I crying right now?
0: uh Next, our values are 85% compatible. Uh, it says Taurus is turned to a material reality and Pisces to an emotional one. Their values differ a lot, but the one they share is incomparable to others love. No other sign of the zodiac can truly understand the way these two value love, especially when they're in love with each other. And so, then a summary they had like 20 more ways in which we were compatible or not compatible, but the summary. Do you summary, believe
1: in any of this stuff?
0: No, because here's the thing like, anytime you read something like this, You find pieces of things that you're like, okay, this could work for me as long as it's like positive. But in the second it's negative, you're like, oh, this is baloney. This is garbage. Astrology's trash. But, you know, astrology gets you because you can always identify with something. But let me read you our summary. So this is a relationship based on love and full of it while it lasts. They both crave romance and beauty in their lives and will do anything that is needed to keep the beauty going between them. Taurus will give their Pisces partner a chance to connect to the real world, showing them how to ground their creativity, while Pisces will lift up Taurus and make them a bit softer and more flexible. So if anything that I've read is like true, I think it's that line there. If they savor their trust and nurture the beauty of the love that they share, their relationship can last and be as inspiring as a dream coming true. So this writer was getting a little poetic. But there you have it, 88% compatible, babe. Well, so I think I think we'll weather this, uh, this little tiff tonight.
1: We'll weather the storm. A lot of people <laughs> on TikTok, by the way, say I look weathered.
0: Yes, that's the thing. Like, the actual lingo is weathered.
1: Yeah, about my face.
0: You oh. don't look weathered. I will say that.
1: Hmm. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. <laughs> I'm sorry it's a little bit of a downer, but I've been getting hurled insults on TikTok, and my wife hates me, so... Or, sorry, dislikes me strongly or is upset with me or whatever.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 big, i yeah, going to give you a big hug and kiss when this is over to make you feel loved again, Shane, and adored, just mm-hmm. like my astrology sign says you should feel in this relationship.
1: So give us a five-star rating if you have it in your heart. I mean, clearly I'm going through a rough time in my life right now. (laughs) I would appreciate it. It would make the twinkle come back in my eye. But uh, if not, listening is just fine. So thank you for listening to This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast. Podcast,
0: Episode 97.